You're listening to the Laugh Button Podcast on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Laugh Button Podcast right here on the Riotcast Network. My name is Mark Says Hi, his is Matt Kleinschmidt, and uh, together uh, we unite, we form the LaughButton.com. Are you the laugh button or are you the dot com part of it? I don't uh, I'm the and laugh and you are the dot and com. Uh, oh, you're the button com. Yeah, I guess that's fitting. With the, <laughs> I'm the, the front name. end of the horse, you're the back end? <laughs> I don't know. Let's stop this conversation immediately. <laughs> All right, so we've got Greg Proops joining us. He's got a brand new album uh, out on a special thing records. Mr. Proops, the smartest man in the world. He is the smartest man in the world. He also wrote the smartest book in the world. And the smartest man in the room. Yeah. The smartest man in New York. Yeah. Now, Matt, I know know you're not- part of the smartest man series. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) I know you're not too keen on sports, but I'm going to tell you up front. What's up? A lot a of sports of, talk. A little baseball talk. A little, little, little talk of the baseball. The baseball. Yeah, a little. Yeah, right. a little talk about the diamond, if All you will. Right. All right. Um, but you know, that's uh, that's Proops, man. Dude loves yeah. sports. He loves his San Francisco Giants. He's obsessed with them, and you know, he works them into his bits. You know, that's just what he does. Robin Williams is also a big San Francisco Giants fan too. Oh, well, he's a San Fran guy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Makes of course. Sense. There you go. All right. So uh, excited for that, Greg Proops, joining us on this episode of the podcast. Let's get to the news. There's a lot of it, shall we? Uh, let's start with this because I'm very excited not only for the show, but I'm excited that the show's already been renewed. Yeah, those who can't, True TV, psyched about this. Double green light. I know. Double I green know. light. The new season doesn't premiere until February, February 11th. And they right. already renewed the show. It's great. Already renewed. So those who can't, just so we know, just so our public knows. Yes. The improv, the the comedy troupe, the Growlix, yep. three great dudes from Denver: mm-hmm. Adam, Kate, and Holland, mm-hmm. Ben, Roy, mm-hmm. Andrew, Overdahl. Mm-hmm. Two of those three gentlemen have spoken to the laugh button in years past on video. One of them has not. Ooh, which one is it? You can guess. Uh, I'm going to guess Ben Roy. No, we've talked to Ben Roy. Uh, I think you've talked to Adam, Kate, and Holland also. Yeah, so it's Andrew. Yeah, so it's Andrew. Anyway, yes. Orvidal, yeah. These dudes, great dudes. They they developed a great television show called Those Who Can't about basically them being teachers. Right, at a school. And it's right. the whole premise of Those Who Can't Teach. Mm-hmm. It was originally developed for one of those. Uh, Amazon greenlit a bunch of shows Two three years ago, and uh, they didn't they didn't go through with all, uh, pilots for all those shows. This was one of the shows that didn't go through, but True TV picked it up, and it's fucking baller. And it's big time baller, and there's big time tons baller. of people in it, like Susie Essman, Roy Scovel, Kyle Kinane. Kyle Kinane's in it. Yeah, in it. Sure, it's, it's it's got a big cast. Big cast, great. I, I'm looking forward to this one, and I can't wait for it to premiere. And also, huge props to the Growlics. Yeah, those huge props the best. to them. And uh, congrats on season two. Yeah, season congrats two. on season two being renewed before season one premiered. It's uh, pretty wild how much this is sort of happening uh, nowadays, right? Well, like, in cable TV, you know, uh, uh, they only do it on network television for shows that are super established. Like, they renewed, like, The Big Bang Theory for, like, three more years. Or The Simpsons will get, like, Something five like that. seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so, right. But, like, you know, for these new stuff, especially on, like, cable TV, if, like, they feel strongly about it and they're developing the show, it's like, why not? You know, um, FX for a while was doing the, the, the 10 by 100 deals, which they would, they would, you would basically do, they'd shoot 10 episodes, and if the show was great and had good responses, you you all of a sudden syndicated for, like, a 
100 episodes. Yeah, for a long time. They did it with like um, Charlie Sheen's Anger Management. That mm-hmm. show ran for, I think, five seasons, believe it or not, over the four hundred episodes. They tried to do it for that uh, George Lopez show, St. George, mm-hmm. I think is what it was. Don't think that happened and got the 100. There was also that Martin Lawrence lawyer movie that I think was uh, was one that was up for it as well. I don't remember that. Yeah. What was, what was and that? FX's Comedians, I think, was one of those as well, too. Uh, Josh Gad, Billy Crystal. Josh Gad and Billy Great Crystal. show. I don't think it's coming back for a new no, season. I think, I think it officially got canceled. But they were doing those like yeah. 10 by 100 deals for a while. Hmm. Anger Management was the only one I know that actually went the distance, but uh, you know that was also the peak of like Charlie, Charlie Sheen, Sheen, Chaos, Chaos sure. quitting Two and a Half Men, Tiger Blood bullshit. Yeah. But anyway, True TV renewing this before this, the new season. It's just, it's they, they have faith in the product, I think is what it is. And also, from a creative point of view, it's got to be super liberating because you're like, all right, well, let's fuck around for a season, you know? Well, so. they've got a good track record going yeah. now, True TV does, especially with comedy, so yeah. you know, why not be all in? Adam Ruins Everything, great show. Mm-hmm. Friends of the People, terrific sketch show. Impractical Jokers, funny as shit, you know? All right, uh, some quick news here with Jerry Seinfeld. He's taking up a residency at the Beacon Theater in New York City. So if you are going to be visiting New York City or if you live in New York City, uh, plan it around his anytime for the once year a month. Two, anytime, for, anytime in the year 2016. Yeah. Once a month in the yeah. year 2016, yeah. uh, Jerry Seinfeld will be at the Beacon Theater. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Very similar to the Billy Joel Residency yeah, at residency garden. at the garden. Yeah. Uh, Almond Brothers do it. Well, they do they it on do, consecutive nights. Yeah, but, they do uh, like they do like they a, do a big run. run. Yeah. Springsteen usually does like a like a thirty night run at the garden too. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. Good old Different sets every night. Yeah, because well, it's Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, no opener. Yeah, yeah respect that guy. Uh, this is real cool news in uh, celebration of what would have been Richard Pryor's seventy fifth birthday. His uh, six classic albums from the Warner Brothers catalog. All released digitally now, so all your time. digital outlets, yeah. yes, for the first time ever, iTunes, the Spotify's, Pandora's, all that stuff, you can uh, listen to these. I can't say half these. Yeah, half the titles title have the N-word in them. I'm not allowed to say them, yes. uh, but they're, I'll tell you this, they're funny as shit, yeah. and they're groundbreaking, and they're amazing, and anybody who loves comedy or cares about comedy, uh, pay your dues. And listen to these albums yes. and understand the They're legend important. that is Richard Pryor. I, I think uh, it's everything from Richard Pryor live, mm-hmm. live in concert. I'm sorry. And then there's live on the Sunset Strip. Is yeah, in Sunsets included. There's there's that N word crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, there's a couple. N- there's a couple ones that have the N word. Is it something I said? Yeah. Is it something yeah, I said? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they're the they're the Richard the Pryor. Quint, yeah. The, 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 the Richard Pryor releases. So. So that's very cool. Uh-huh. Uh, you can go to laughbutton.com if you want to read uh, more about that. And seventy five. Uh, Speaking of other people turning old yes uh and and not dead and not dead shout uh, out to intern will yeah shout out to <laughs> intern will uh, woody allen woody allen 80 80 years old 80 man. years old man 80 years young that's kind of mind old young i don't know i think he he's kind of looked the same age for a while now i think I, uh, and, yeah uh, there's there's some people like like just you remember constantly them looking old yeah he was he's one, one of them don rickles is another one too yeah always that dude has always looked old to me like right, you right. know <laughs> even though he was probably like 30 something you know like when i first started seeing him but uh, he just always looked like an old dude to me well so. we've got 80 of uh woody allen best quotes 80 for 80 yeah. uh, up on the laughbutton.com so another shout out to uh, intern Will for putting that together <laughs> um, do you have a favorite Woody Allen movie were you hardcore in him did you care did, did you uh, like his stand up you know that's I mean, more like, rare I but. cared but I didn't care about uh-huh. Woody Allen because like some of it is a little too heady for me and then there's, def- there's ob- listen there's Woody Allen purists out there they're like oh my god Woody Allen's the best but like yeah, and all I'm, be all yeah yeah but I mean like you know I I kind of dig them like I, I especially the recent ones I, I think the recent ones were that bad like uh, well obviously 
basically you have Hannah and her sisters, which I think is probably like my favorite Woody Allen. And then, I like Manhattan. Probably. Yeah, Manhattan's pretty good. I mean, it's classic. But then like the new ones, like the one that had Louis C.K. in it last year was great. And the Dice Clay one the was Dice, that the same one? Yeah, the same one. And yeah. then the one before that had, had Wait, Larry. That was something blue. What was it? Uh, uh, blue, blue, blue Jasmine. Thing. Yeah, Blue Jasmine. Good the movie. one before that. Uh, with Larry David, I like. I kind of like with that. Larry David. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was good. than the whatever the, works. Yeah, whatever works. And they had the one with uh, Owen Wilson. Uh-huh. He, he was in that one where he was like a he was traveling the international. Like they were just like decent. Like Woody Allen films. Like what I like about Woody, I I'm glad Woody Allen exists. Right. Like 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 I'm like culturally we he need sets people, a bar. He sets culturally a bar we sure. need people like Woody Allen. Uh-huh. Do I pay super attention to his career? No, but culturally I I understand why it's important. I'm glad it's it's out there. And when you check in with it, it's satisfying. When, it's, you when check I check out, in with it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's 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 my that's my experience with Woody Allen. Well, happy uh, belated birthday! Uh, when this podcast comes out, it uh, your birthday will have already come and gone. So, Woody, uh, happy 80th birthday! Very cool. We've run out some of your 80 favorite quotes on the last podcast. Yes, uh, big week on Netflix. We had Brent Morin's <laughs> special premiere on Monday. Yes, we've got um, a very Murray Christmas. Yes, coming out on Friday. Uh, stoked for this. So Sophia Coppola. Uh, sort of put this whole thing together. Great lineup. It's got uh, everyone. In it's it. got everybody in it as it should. It's Bill Murray. You got know, the whole variety, old school, Christmassy variety show kind of vibe to it. I know it's Netflix is in just full on total domination. Well, I feel mode like we've right talked now. about this a couple weeks in a row. Yeah, now. it's just like Netflix. But Netflix it's just every is, week, four more but things you know are coming what? out. But Netflix, they have real the money. Rob's. Co- you know, came they out have, this week. Too. They have the money. And they have the desire to put content, and they're they are aware that content is king right now in the streaming because that's what sets you apart from Amazon and Hulu and Roku and all those is is straight up content. So and not to take them away, they got some great Amazon exactly. But like Netflix originals. to me is doing what HBO was doing twenty five years ago, where like yep. they were like feed our base, don't give a fuck about ratings but want to have that critical and cultural clout. Right. HBO's been doing it for years, and they've, been, they've built a super successful business on it. And Netflix is doing the same thing. Put out good shit that people want to watch and see and talk about. Orange is the New Black. Masters of None, we were just talking yeah. about, on, you know, is solid. Uh, all the specials from Bill Burr up to Brent Moore and coming out this week, they're just, they're just crushing it with the original good, solid content that people of the streaming generation want to see. And they chose correctly... Uh, with the stuff they did bring back with the Arrested Development, uh, Arrested American Development Summer. Without American Summer, now with Bob and David. You know, you, those they are shows correctly. Those are shows that if they're not seen a ton, are talked about a ton. Like right. Arrested Development came out right around the same time as Orange is the New Black. Orange is the, the New Black leaps and bounds performing better than Arrested Development mm-hmm. as far as streaming and all that type of stuff. But I can't think of a sitcom that was written about more in the last couple of years than the, the return yeah. of Arrested Development. It's true. It was written ad nauseum in perpetuity. In, <laughs> I should never tell you that <laughs> yeah, word. Yeah, no, exactly. All right, so uh, <laughs> let's close out the news portion of this with uh, with a big feud. That Feuds, went down. dude. Feud. We, we just start a beef. Podcast war. You, you want to you start a beef? Let's pick what a beef. Wanna... Let's, let's, let's pick like a... Well, we got to so... do with somebody big, you know, like... Well, like the lead... Let's, how about Bobby? Podcast wars, Bobby. Oh, you want to go after a No, on, let's man. not go after that. the boss. Let's go after, go after someone... Dad? Let's go after someone like not on our network. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, actually, I don't want to start any beef, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll start Be- beef with myself for They're not... They're fun, though. Podcast wars. For being nicer. No, I don't know. Um, um Yeah, but... I, this is, I don't know how to react to this because I feel like, uh, you know, I worked in radio for a long time. Yeah. And not as long as these particular people that are feuding here have been together. I will say that. But 
I worked in the same hallways. Yeah. And and I worked there for a long time. And I get how shit works, and I get that people get sick of other people, and I get that things end, but I also get that there's bits, and I yeah. also get that, uh, hey, we might not have this going on correctly, and we might kind of sort of hate each other. Let's play it up for the radio. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I just I take everything with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. So to fill everyone in, what's going on? Uh, Owen or Owen o- Jim? Opie and Jimmy. Yeah, Opie and Jimmy. From Sirius XM. From Sirius XM, kind of had a long discussion. That's a good I, way to put it. I don't it, know. It got heated at some points. It got awkward at other points. Super awkward in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it got heated. Yeah. Then it kind of like, they kind of chuckled it Then it, it just kind of was like two brothers figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, and when Esther. Uh, Esther, Esther Koo. Koo, yeah. right? Who or Koo? Koo. She, she uh, every time she talked, I was like, this is a bit. But but then it but then it started feeling too awkward. Well, she, I think she right. was talking because she felt so awkward too. Yeah, she was just chilling. So basically, what happened is like as we all know, Opie and Anthony, long time running show on NEW here in New York, and then the Sirius XM. Well, mm-hmm. X, then SX, then XM, then Sirius XM. Right. Uh, they had a falling out after Anthony was fired from the show for the Twitter tirade he went on Fourth of July, two thousand fourteen. Uh, Opie continued the show with Jim Norton, who was also a third member, third cognate wheel for a very long time. And it seems like that behind-the-scenes feuding between Opie and Anthony hasn't really subsided. Their fans are loyal. Their fans are super diehard, and they probably split. Then they, they, they pick sides. Yeah, you pick sides. Stand with Ant, stand with Opie, stand with Jimmy, whatever it is. And they all pick sides, and they all kind of. Uh, you and know, Jim Norton does like both shows. Yeah, right? yeah. And that's and I think that's kind of where it started was like Esther started the show, and she was like, oh, you know, I, would, I just did Anthony's show. And then like, was that cool? And then Opie kind of got weird about it because he's clearly dealing with some shit. Anthony's right. clearly dealing with some shit. And uh, then it became all about Jimmy and Anthony. I'm sorry, Jimmy and Opie, about like why those two guys aren't on the best of terms and you know Opie was saying things like you know we're not that close and we're not this and we're not that and uh, which is and, kind of a weird and then Jim was like well that's kind of shitty to say that you won't let me in on this kind of stuff so it became a, it got really weird really really quick and then uh, to the point where like Jimmy was like you know dude you're my boss like you can fire me if you're gonna fire me just fire me yeah. like, that was kind of said there was, it almost kind of became this stalemate like this Cold War Russia style of like right. well then fire me no well then fire me yeah. well if you want, if you don't like it here go like it was yeah, like, yeah, it, it was, was like weird. that kind of thing it was yeah. very weird very awkward very much a radio thing but well not a radio thing that's that's the wrong way to say it but uh yeah it was weird to watch I mean weird to listen to and uh that feud kind of like erupted and the next day no one even seemed to really talk about it so I don't know but those there's a lot of tension going on there and I feel like the tension that from Opie between Opie and Anthony kind of spilled over into Opie and Jimmy yeah so I don't really know what to say other than it happened, it's a thing. You can listen to DJs. it. They're iconic DJs. They do a lot for the comedy community. Yeah, and it'd, be so, it'd be shitty if like it all went away. Yeah, so. we can all agree on that. Yeah, that's yeah, the one yeah, thing we yeah, can't yeah, agree yeah, on. So. Uh, we can also agree. Well, actually, you don't have to agree because it's going to happen one way or the other. Greg oh. Proops is going to be joining us right now. So. Mr. Proops going to go talk some baseball, some some diamonds, some some baseball ash bat swinging, some some old round puck, some old oh, oblong pigskin. Some old <laughs> cowhide, some old round the horn. All right, here's Proops and, uh, and myself <laughs> hanging out in uh, in his hotel the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, he was kind enough to have me up, and uh, he, dude, guys, do, guys done some cool shit. Um, just recently performed with the cast of Nightmare Before Christmas at the Hollywood Bowl. That's cool. and he tells a great story, so enjoy it. 
All right. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Laugh Button Podcast right here on the Ridecast Network. My name is Mark Seaman. That's unfortunate. But fortunately, I'm joined by uh, the one and only Greg Proops. How you doing, Greg? I'm good, buddy. Seaman and Proops. I love it. Yeah. we got all good... the bodily fluids coming out today. I was going to say, we've got the total package here. I think we're going to we really keep do. American standard in business. We need to get yep. Albert Pujols and... Uh, um, <laughs> Who's my favorite? And Kurt Brownholer. Yes, Kurt Brownholer. Uh, Whitney Cummings, I guess. Whitney Cummings. Get that Seaman Proops, Brownholer, and Cummings. <laughs> There's got to be a Cox in there somewhere, <laughs> a Dix. But uh, it's funny you mentioned that uh, pool hall. My wife's Spanish. She's, she's from Puerto Rico. Uh, so, so we watch baseball, and every time they say his name, she just starts laughing. Right. And I'm like, well, why, is, why is that so funny? This guy's like, you know, one of the greatest hitters of his generation. Right. Or she's like, yeah, but don't you know what Pujols? It's like real close to saying "push out a shit," basically. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, you just don't know with some of these Spanish last no. days, right? You no. just don't know. Someone's always got it worse. All right, uh, congratulations on everything, all your success, well, first you, and Mark. foremost. Thank you. Um, and uh, especially your brand new album, which I just got on uh, deluxe orange marbled vinyl, limited to 500 pressing, uh, in the ballpark. The name of the new album. Yes. And uh, in classic. Uh, Giants colors, if you will. So I want to alienate everyone by always reminding everyone that I like baseball, which is something that comedy fans, uh, as you know, are mostly comic book type fans. And that's um, very, although there are some sporty comedy fans. Yes. Uh, uh, no, the album's not about baseball. Yes, there's a couple tracks that hit on it. All right. Uh, but no, it's no not. pun intended there. Exactly. And I, I wrote a book earlier this year called The Smartest Book in the World, mm -hmm. and there's tons of baseball in it. And my, you know, that was my fatal. Uh, mistake. I think. Uh, I, I think the book is fine, and I'm happy with it, and people really like it. But the one complaint when people write me is like, I "I'm from Ireland, and I have no idea what this is." You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just sure. my. Uh, I I like baseball, and with me, everything is a baseball metaphor or a mm -hmm. baseball analogy. And I think I can't remember if my wife gave me the idea for the album title. I think she did. Uh, it, we did it. We did it at the beginning of this year uh, in January, mm -hmm. and um, the Giants had just won their third World Series. So because it, I recorded it in San Francisco. I ended up doing a bunch of stuff about that. All right. But this is for the San Francisco crowd. It's not all on the album, so don't freak out. Yeah. There's like one thing on the album that has baseball on it. Uh, but um, I mean, I, I think I also do stuff that you could laugh at if you weren't a baseball fan, like Tony Bennett singing the Nash, uh, God Bless America, where he gets all the words wrong and everything. Sure. And, and your bit about the, the coach, too, Coach Boach, or yeah, I mean, whatever you. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's the man, but even if you don't know who he is, you're doing a very funny impression. And. Uh, and without ruining too much of it, I gotta ask: Is it was that improv that bit at the end? Yeah, like of you're, you're riffing on that, right? I, I can only assume. We did it every night, and we tried to take the best one, and then um, so we didn't edit, we didn't cobble too much. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, although that's of course fair to do; it's an album. But um, uh, I, I picked a, I, I moved one line to one other bit with the poachy thing. But the, he's not even talking about baseball, and that's right. why that's right. what makes it funny. And I that's think, what makes it, it hilarious. It, it, yeah. Everybody cooks on the team, and they're always making <laughs> food. And and I have no idea where that came from. I was just on stage riffing it, and so that's what it turned into. Everybody always does the coach talking about the team bit, mm. and I thought, well, why talk about sports at all when you have this chance to not do it? All right, all right, Greg. I. I, is it a battle for you be, to separate stand-up from improv and improv from stand-up when you're doing one or the other? You know what I mean? Do those morph at some point? Because you're doing a stand-up set, and like you said, this last bit's improv but is it hard to just not go off of your environment the whole time, you know, and, and then infuse your bits versus just doing your bits, you know, that you worked out ahead of time? Is that tricky for you? Well, I don't know if it's tricky, Mark. It's kind of the uh, the balancing act, and, like, uh, it, 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 if anything, it's... Um, 
you know, the problem with having too many options is you you can do them. Right. Uh, right. It, it's it's That's better. Fair. So like if you if you only don't do improv and you only write your act and you and you really work on your act and you're a great writer, like so many comics, then that's what you're going to do. Right. Um, I remember seeing Carlin years ago at the comedy store, and um, he goes, I don't know this next bit, ladies and gentlemen. And he goes, do you mind if I read it to you? He says, I don't improvise, I memorize. And he took out a sheet of paper that he had clearly printed out the act on and read it. And it was just as funny because he was that good of a writer. His voice was so developed and so keen and caustic and absolutely specific that by reading it off a piece of paper, it was as funny as if he'd memorized it because he had written it in the exact cadence and wording mm-hmm. that he was going to say it in. Whereas with me, it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> I, uh, I worked with Neil Marshall uh, on a, a TV thing I did a couple years ago. A TV. Uh, I made my own stand-up special called... Um, Live at Musso and Frank's, and it was in an old school place. And Neil was George's producer and did all the HBO specials with him. And so we'd be, you know, they'd come to see me like work on my set, and of course it was all over the goddamn shop, right? And he'd go, write about what you know, Greg. And you know, like really giving you like good advice if you're like a great writer. Right. And I didn't want to say to him, you're used to working with Carlin, the most meticulous. The Super person detailed, who takes yeah. an adverb and moves it over two spaces because it's not a colon there, it's a semicolon. And, you know, like, I can't remember who said it about it. Was it Seinfeld? He was like, it, it, watching Carlin work was like watching someone operate on a chicken, right? There's nothing left at the end of the premise. He takes the premise and it's down to the bones by the time he gets down with it because he's going to think of every metaphor, every simile, every every way to approach something. Whereas I'm exactly the opposite. I think of something and then I riff on it until something funny happens and then hopefully I can settle a couple of lines or beats here and there and right. then come back and expa- expound on it as I go. So when I did the special, I didn't tell nobody, but I hadn't written about half of it. So half of that's improvised on the night using material that I have as well so I could weave the material back in and out as I rolled through it. With the album, it was a bunch of stuff that I had already done and a bunch of club stuff that I had been doing for uh, over the, you know, not I don't want to say decades, but over the last few years, but hadn't put down on an album. So none of my albums have any of this material on it, which is a problem. I find that I don't listen to my own album, so I'll do a bit and go, I want to put this on the new album, and then I'll say to the producers, did I do this? And they'll be like, yeah, that's on two other albums. And you're like, oh. Am I yeah. still doing that? In fact, you've already named three albums, yeah, the same right. title. So right. could you uh, switch that up as well? It's short to remember that. Uh, <laughs> so that's a long-winded way of answering the question. I, 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 did, I had a couple bits on this album that I worked on really hard, trying to put them together word for word the way I wanted them to go. And then other bits that I allowed myself to... Ability, you know, the, the the leeway to to goof around, on. right? Like right. the the bochi bit is, I would do it different every night. I didn't have any set beats in it. Now, um, now with your book, does it work that way too? Do you improv write? Like as you're horribly. writing the book, you're like, you're like with a book, like, you have oh, to what? Be very specific. Mm, cool. There were two chapters I didn't know I was gonna, right. <laughs> I was gonna B- books are all about editing. Yeah, editing is big my, time. My biggest uh, weakness. I am not mm. a great editor. Um, if I was a great editor, everything I say would be succinct and not loquacious. Uh, years ago, I remember reading in, oh God, what was it? Betsy Bourne's book, Comic, Comic Lives from the 80s. Was it that book? It was some other comedy book where someone said, go through your act w- verbatim, mm-hmm. right? Print it out word for word, write it out, and then take a red pencil and take out all the superfluous words. And it was like, I would have nothing left, yeah. right? <laughs> you would say, baseball, 
third. Right. <laughs> 16. Yeah. What? With me, it's just verbiage. <laughs> yeah, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Persiflage. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, with the book, I, I some of it came out in giant bursts, as it were, and other parts I had to wrench out of my brain. Okay. And other parts I felt like I wrote, and then I had a chance to rewrite, and I should have rewritten them more. Mm-hmm. So... Some of the chapters I'm really happy with, and other chapters I wish I had another go at. But of course, it's out there now. So yeah, it's forever. There's yeah. no. Yeah, it's forever. So, uh, I learned, I learned a lot, as they say, uh, as Janie Child said, I learned something about myself. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I didn't improvise it. But yeah, when you're writing, sometimes you are improvising, especially on topics that you're well acquainted with. So you don't actually. You know, I tried to use books as research for all the historical things I say. And my, right. my book was vetted by a fact checker, even though someone gets mad at me and says, like, there's two or three factual errors in it, which there's bound to be in a book. But um, it was vetted by a fact checker after I did it. And I didn't use Wikipedia, although, of course, people have complained it looks like it's from Wikipedia because people are illiterate and don't have any other source other than Wikipedia. I used actual books about everything that I talk about, Alexander the Great, uh, Julius Caesar, baseball feminism whatever it is I went to the source with those um, so if I didn't know a topic really well I'd study it more but something like uh, Roman history I'd read so many books I would just crack them out and right. reread the chapters I needed to read for salient thoughts and uh, uh, just to try to make sure that I got the gist of what was right right I'm not gonna tell it like a historian because that's the boring part. Yeah, that makes it not fun. Yeah, you don't you don't want to you don't want people running away. Uh, so I just, some parts came blathering out, and other parts I had to chisel uh, out of my and cheat myself into doing. And it took me way longer than I thought it was going to. Um, yeah, books are a big pain in the. I mean, to put mm. it simply, <laughs> a big pain in the ass. They are. No I one mean, has ever told me, "Oh, it was amazing." Like I loved writing this book. It. It. it uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's something easy to do. That's well, for sure. I have a friend named Tony Hawks in England, and um, oh, Tony Hawks, plural, not uh, not, no, the not the skater. <laughs> Skateboarders. Yeah, he has more, more than one hawks. He's a flock of hawks, and, uh, <laughs> or pride, or whatever they're called, and. Uh, he, he's a successful author now. When I first met him, of course, he was a stand-up comic and an improviser, which he was very good at, but not great at. Like, he was a good stand-up and he was a good improviser. And then he had someone bet him or something, uh, can you write a book? And he took a... Ref- he, this was the premise of the first book, and I believe it's the name of it, too, Taking a Fridge Around Ireland. So he took a... You know those little camp fridges? Sure. A student fridge? Yeah, like a foot high, two, yeah, foot, yeah. two feet high, yeah. He, he had it with him, and he hitchhiked around Ireland. And it was just his adventures, like people picking him up and him going, like, I've got this fridge. And so they'd take him to the crib, and they'd plug the fridge in, you know. And, so great. And that was the whole... So I remember after he wrote it, and this was some time ago. This is 10, 15 years ago, easily. 15. He, he, and, and Tony has this terribly plummy voice, and it's really, there's a lot of voiceovers. He's a wonderful British apple-class voice. He's quite tall, and he says, um, well, it's a bit of a bother writing the book. You had to sit down and write every day, didn't you? And that's 80,000 words. But then at the end of that, it's not so bad. It was a very English way of looking at it. Like, right, right. So since then, he's written 100 books. Like, he's a famous author in England. Like, oh, he wrote a book called Playing Tennis Against the Moldovans, where a guy made a bet with him and said, hey, you, if you play tennis and, and win this match against... Moldova as a country in Europe that no one knows Yeah, I was going to say, like, maybe you and now me know right. about... <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's an arcane... It's in Europe. It's right. in between like Italy and Switzerland. It's right there, but no one goes there. And um, the joke was, if uh, the premise was, uh, if I lose, 
uh, if you if you win, I'll walk naked down such and such high street in in London. And if you lose, you got to walk naked down the high street, right? Which they did. Uh, so he wrote that one. And then the other one was uh, writing a hit song, and he went to Albania. And the bet was, can you have a number one song in another country? Oh, that's amazing. So he bet. went to Albania, that's did a little pop bet. song, got it on the radio there. You know, like, so what? Tony's done all these books since then. And, like, then he writes the book of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas right. I approached it exactly the other way, which is horrible. <laughs> and as you say, it's, it's a pain. In, it's a pain, but uh, I'd like to write another one. I'm, you know, trying to think of a premise. I mean, I have a bunch of premises. I mean, that's now, your book right there. Trying to come up with a premise, right? <laughs> just go just super meta, right? Just go right yeah. at it. <laughs> trying to come up with this premise, and then you do within the book, and then you write a book within the book, right? right. It's just what like, I'm so hesitant to ever do in a book, and yeah. that's why I didn't do it with this book, is to write about myself. And, yeah. and I did this, I did that. Yeah, a lot of people say it's a, a weird thing to do. Books. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange, but uh, you know. Oh, 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 then we got drunk, and then we got in the bus, and it took a really long time to get to the gig, and then when we got to the gig, the, the lights didn't work, and <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. Age Christ. Yeah, another one of these stories. Yeah. Well, uh, Greg, w- did you f- did you? I hesitate to ask this question, but I want to. Did you find sports first or comedy first? Oh, sports. I was a little kid, and yeah, uh, hands my, down. my dad would take me to baseball games, and that's why I like baseball so much. I think, and I saw Willie Mays and uh, Willie McCovey and all that when I was a little kid. So and great, you saw those guys. Yeah, Roberto Clemente and Pete Rose. We used to be Pete Rose, and Steve Garvey, and whatnot, and. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so I grew up at the ballpark with my dad and the racetrack, and uh, so that was first. And then, um, you know, I loved comedy on TV. And when I was really little, um, all the old-time comics were still on TV. It was still Bob Hope and George Burns and Milton Berle and Benny, and they put them on TV all the time. They were on all the variety shows. Mm-hmm. Then there was like you know Flip Wilson, who was so super hip and laughing, Sunny and Cher, uh, Smothers Brothers, mm-hmm. um, as well as all the club comics that you'd see on the variety shows. Uh, like Phyllis Stiller or Joan Rivers or whatever. How old did you have to be to get into clubs back then? Was it like 18 or was it 21? I think 21. It was still 21, But yeah. I started like every other comic, uh, underage, mm-hmm. at the clubs. Uh, my, f- uh, I was in a comedy team and we were working at College San Mateo, where I'm from, and um, uh, this band came to do this lunchtime gig and they go, you guys are pretty funny. Of course we weren't. Uh, you know, I think we were 18 and just hideous, you know, all energy, you know, just <laughs> no jokes. And uh, they go, we're playing this bar down in Palo Alto called The Winery. You want to come down and uh, in between uh, our sets, you guys could get up and do your act. So we did. And that's when I started going to comedy. You know, it wasn't even a comedy club. It was a bar. Yeah. So all these unwitting patrons who would come to see the band, uh, we'd get up in between and do our like punk routine and, you know, all this crap we wrote. A lot of commercial parodies. Um, making fun of AM DJs, which was a big deal in the 70s. Uh, and uh, that was where it all started as far as like, because people go, what is it about stand-up and this and that? And it was being treated like an adult when I was a teenager, and I think that's it for a lot of us. It's the one thing you don't have to, you have to do a long apprenticeship, there's no question of that. Right. But you don't have to go to university for it. Mm-hmm. And... No one questions your credentials, no matter how young you are. If you're funny, you're funny. Like I saw Dave Chappelle when he was 20 years old, or Eddie Murphy when he got on TV when he was 19 or 20. No one went, oh, you can't do this job. People just go, oh, you can do this job. And comedy is the one, even though it's not a meritocracy, uh, it's more of a meritocracy than other professions are. No one's allowed to fly a jet plane when they're 18. Right, right. <laughs> no one's allowed to perform brain surgery yeah, when they're 18 off or, the table. or be a psychologist or something like that. Whereas if you're a comic, you can start uh, 
when you're a kid, which we all do. Uh, I think Hicks was 15. I was probably in high school, you know. And, um, Incredible. By the time you're 20-something, you can earn money doing it. You can be independent. And that, to me, was the lure of it. Um, I wanted to be an actor, I thought. And uh, I can still act a little bit. Yeah, you still, still came true. Oh, yeah, I can know? act. But, uh, acting, oh, voice I'm acting. Fine actor. Yeah. Uh, but it was writing the writing my own material that sealed the deal, you know. Like, once you weren't doing other people's lines and you realized you could say what you wanted to say, and then... As Al Pacino says in The Devil's Advocate, bend the jury to your will. <laughs> and once you realize you can bend them to your will, uh, then it's then it's all over. Then your ego takes over and that's yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. That's, but, uh, you're, uh, you're in forever. The upside of that is that uh, uh, I have the right job. You know, like the thing that you learn, of course, being a comic and, and you're a musician as well, you go out on the road or you go do gigs and all the people in the audience... They don't have the right job. 80% of the people are very unhappy with what they have to do. So no matter how fucked off we get and frustrated and thwarted and, oh, that guy got this and I didn't get this and I'm bitter now, it's not nearly as awful as if you were the manager of a large regional Walmart and making all kinds of money and got health care. Well, you wouldn't if you were working for Walmart. But you know right, what I mean? Right, right. No. Uh, and we're stuck in a <laughs> thing and had three kids and, right. and all of a sudden you're fat. And yeah, my wife reminds me of that all the time. Like, uh, she, she'll tell me, like, I'll, yeah, I'll bitch about something. She'll be like, do you, you, you know, you did, you did this last week, right? You went in this guy's house or mm-hmm. you were broadcasting live from this location and you were hanging out with so and so. Yeah, you're right. You know, yep. and then I just hang my head and then she yells at me for not, uh, being on American Ninja Warrior at age 60, you know, uh-huh. cause some assholes on there doing it and I'm not. So right. <laughs> then I, now I have to get in shape. God, no, it's always the same. It's always yeah. the same. Cause that's what my wife will say to me. I'll go, you know, snivel, snivel, snivel. And she'll be like, um, you did the Hollywood Bowl last yeah. week. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Maybe I'm glad you, you brought that down. up. Um, I'm glad you brought that. I didn't mean to cut you off there, no, but how awesome is that man i mean the hollywood bowl is already a magical cool unique experience and place to just be in there as an audience participant but you got to go up on stage a nightmare before christmas yeah and do this thing um how long was it before you found out it was going to happen to when it did happen and then you got to just sulk in that for you know how how thank you for asking mark uh (laughs) last summer uh we were on the book tour and we were in san francisco and i got an email from my voice agent and she said uh um, Danny Elfman is taking Nightmare Before Christmas to Japan. Well, he'd been going on the road with this thing called the film Tim Burton, you know, mm-hmm. music of Tim Burton, and him and John Masseri. Yeah, played here in New York City, right? Not too so long ago, Lincoln Center. Yeah, sure. That was all the movies. Like he would do different songs from all the different mm-hmm. movies. So this was very specific because it was just Nightmare, right? Which I had been in, and I was in it. And God damn, when did we how, make how it? Ninety-three. Ro- yeah, how many roles? Did you had like you had a handful of roles, right? Yeah, like two or three five. or something. No, four, five? Harlequin, uh, the yeah. Duck, uh, the Devil. I feel like you're a sax player. guy. Maybe, I'm yeah, yeah. Yeah. I say nice so work, Bone Daddy. When he throws the coin in in the beginning, I go nice work, Bone Daddy. And I begged Henry Selleck, the director. I remember on the day I said to him, let me do Lawrence Welk, uh, who nobody remembers now, but in the 90s it was still cogent. Um, Lawrence Welk was a band leader and mm-hmm. he was for old people and yes. he played very anodyne swing music, like mm-hmm. jazz but only on the veneer of jazz, kind of like easy listening. Right. 
and he had a hilariously put upon Norwegian accent, right? That was not really there. He was from North Dakota, but for some reason, they talk like this, and they go, wonderful, wonderful, and now uh, Norma Zimmer, the champagne lady, is going to sing a song for you. So I said to Henry, let me go, nice work, bone lady. <laughs> And he cried laughing, and he went, I love that, and it's not getting in. He, I did a take of it. He let me do a couple takes of it. Yeah. And then they wanted, you know, nice yeah, work, Bone Daddy. Nice and clean, yeah. Cool ghoul, you know, kind of thing. So that's what ended up in the movie. Um, so that was, what, 93? Yeah, it's over 20 years 92? ago now. Oh, my God, it's I been that long. I was auditioning for... Uh, that happened in San Francisco. They, they gave me a cassette tape of the first song. of how, This is Halloween. And all the words... And I learned it, and I learned all the, and I did different voices for every single part. We had no idea what any of it was. Right. And I was the first person in. They auditioned in San Francisco for no reason that I can think of. The, the model shop was there. The mo- the movie was shot in San Francisco, but recorded everywhere. Okay. Because it, you know, it's a yeah, it you can record stop that action. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and I went in, and I was going to do. I honestly don't remember now. I was flying to LA to do like an MTV half hour comedy hour. This is how long ago this was. This is I, this makes it, everyone out there is going to be. The other day I was on Joey Diaz's program and I was talking about seeing Bo Diddley when I was a teenager and someone like wrote in the comments, wrote, yeah, I saw like, you know, uh, Beethoven when I was, you know, like, <laughs> like hey, you're fuck making you. it yeah, up. Fuck yeah. you. It's like, yeah, I was live before you were. Sorry about that. Yeah, Not my fault. <laughs> sorry. So uh, I went in first and um, it was Danny and Denise Denovi who was one of the producers on the picture and I said, this reminds me of Harold Arlen um, and because... Uh, I thought it had that uh, ding dong the witch is dead you know uh, quality to it you know like and also if you're going to talk about children's musicals Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. pretty big so uh, <laughs> kind of a big deal yeah. and I, I said I'd like to start by being obsequious and sycophantic if I may and I'd say I'd like to say this music reminds me of Harold Arlen and, and Danny was like well thank you da 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 so anyways um, cut to this year uh, which is 20 something years later they're going to Japan uh, will you sing the songs and send it back to us and we're going to send it to Danny and I was like but I'm in the movie so okay I'll do it so I went in the bathroom of my hotel in San Francisco and sang into my phone I said to my wife this is going to be kind of horrible for you so <laughs> batten down the hatches for like an hour while I, so me just screaming the poorly off key in the bathroom into my phone over and over and over again the songs so I sent it to him, and uh, I didn't even hear anything back. I thought, well, that's it. And you know my wife, you know how your wife is a week later. Well, anything happen with the... Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, you're going to go, yeah, I got it, but I didn't tell you. <laughs> right. I'm, we're going to Japan, but I didn't want to tell you. Yeah, I already packed your bag. Yeah, so yeah, They're yeah, all so set. No, Tickets, yeah, so you're yeah, good yeah. to go. I hope you yeah. like it. rice. Um, <laughs> and uh, you like fish, right? Hope you got your shots. Yeah, yeah, we're going to Japan. <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope you like traveling backwards across the dateline. So... It didn't happen, and then um, I got a call like a month ago, because we did the gig on Halloween and um, uh, Day of the Dead, so it was 31st first, and um, where are we now? We're in like the end of November, so it was two months ago. Uh, oh, Danny's doing it at the Hollywood Bowl. He wants you to do it. And I'm like, I haven't talked to Danny in 20 years, you know? And uh, I'm like, 
okay. You know, what <laughs> right, do you say, right? right, like, right. No, I'm kind of busy on Halloween. Yeah, we'll get back to you on that. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to get high and watch TCM. You know, I think they're showing you uh, Bride of Frankenstein. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I had to learn that I was on the road with the Who's Line guys. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm in a group with Ryan Stiles, Joel Murray, Jeff Davis. God, and, love um, So good. So we were on the road for like a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and I was in Chicago, and it was when the Cubs were in the playoffs. And that, that's my team, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you from Illinois? R- Ryan Sandberg was. No, I'm actually from a small town outside of Cleveland, but. Oh, uh, Okay. Oh, but I played Ohio. second base on the Cubs oh, in the Little like League, Rhino. so I was like, oh, who's on second base? Oh, Ryan Sandberg. Yeah. Who's this guy? And favorite player ever since, and just wow. fell in love with Wrigley. And uh, yeah. I had family there, too. So Fantastic. And, yeah, great city. Well, the atmosphere during the play, you can imagine. It was uh, insane, yeah. Uh, and Joel, of course, is the mayor, you know, mm-hmm. like his brother's Bill, his brother's Brian. When we went to the pregame party, uh, we went to some bar. And the Ricketts were there, the owners. Oh, sure. I met them. Wow. I met oh. uh, Pete LeCocq, who played for the Cubs. Uh-huh. I met uh, Randy Hundley. I met... All, I, I, was lo- I was losing my mind, right? I met all these ballplayers I watched when I was a kid. Yeah. And... Um, and then Joel took us to the game, and we got drunk, and we went up to the across the street where those people have the bleachers over the stands sure. on Addison, and we went to the firehouse and met all the firemen, like you know, you know, royal treatment, yeah, 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 because it's Joel, you know, and Joel, Joel, you know, Joel, we call him Sugar Bear, right? Because yeah. <laughs> Joel, Joel Murray talks like this. Hey, Mark, that's great. Uh, you know, well, I guess we should go to the game. You know, uh, he was Chester the Cheetah's Cheetah for years. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a cool dude. And a, in a rude mood or whatever like <laughs> Joel's lovely right and he's on Mad Men and everything and he's funny as the Dickens so I'm on the road with them and uh, I calls uh, Danny's manager and she sends me all the mp3s for the whole movie right so now I says to my wife I don't you know I'm not a singer and like I don't and of course I sing but she goes oh you remember the songs I'm like I don't remember any of them I haven't watched the movie in so I played it over and over and over and over, and I sang it over and over and over. So I learned everything, right? Like I learned the whole top to bottom, right? Yeah, Nicks yeah, and crannies, yeah, like, the whole like night. just like a frightened to death because I didn't know what I was going to do when I got in. So and they're like, well, you know, tell us what parts you played. And I'm like, well, I played this part, this part, this part, but I'd like to sing this part, this part. Uh, so we get into the first rehearsal and uh, a small rehearsal. Thank goodness that one with just playback and video. And, uh, oh, oh, Greg, sing this part. Greg, sing this part. And, of course, all the people that had gone to Japan were sight-reading singers, only one of which, uh, 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 Fletcher, had been in the, uh, um, um, the picture back in the old days. Okay. And so the other three people, you know, these are the people who, like, do soundtracks to movies and sing live at the Oscars or the Emmys off of a sheet of music. Like, like you know, day of, just right, right. give me the music. You're a musician, you know. If I if I hand you sheet music, and two times through, you go, got it, got it, yeah. Like that's them, you know. They don't. It doesn't require a lot of because I recently had to go in and do a, a recording session on a real movie, and I was singing on it, and they handed us all sheet music, and they go like, okay, you take the high, you take the low. On the fourth bar, you're gonna do this on on sixteen. I'm, Greg, what do you want to do here? And I'll go, I can't read music oh, no. in front of a room full of 20 sight readers. Right? Oh, no. And they go, and the guy who's running the thing went, got it, got it. So he, you know, he, yeah. you know, you, you just work assign, with it. yeah, you assign, yeah. And you go, okay, well, you, you don't go, you're going to sing D under C, you, you go 
sing this part, Greg, and then they play it for you. Dun, oh, cool. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Can you do that, Greg? And then, of course, no, I can't because I can't stay on key. Uh, <laughs> and as I said during the session, which I said say often, I can't stay on key, but I am loud. And as you know, in music, since you're a musician, volume ensures quality. Yes. If there's one thing, if you can't commitment play, and volume, yeah, if you can't if you can't play good, play loud. <laughs> so uh, then, to answer your question, this is such a long-winded way of getting around it. We go to the next rehearsal, full orchestra. Oh wow! And no pressure. No yeah, pressure. We're at the Clint Eastwood stage at Warner Brothers. John Masseri, who's the conductor from the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, is with on the stick, right? And I'm at post position, like John's on the podium. Here's the orchestra. Mm-hmm. I'm there, on on his right hand. Right? Okay. So every time he cues the singers, he leans over and yeah. on top of my head, and of course I'm like, <laughs> and um, so we sing it, and uh, uh, and then they're gonna do an Oingo Boingo song too, which they did, which was amazing. I was I gonna say, did they one in 25 years? Just say, did they do some Oingo Boingo? They, they did. Mu- um, they uh, Dead Man's Party. Okay. And I don't think he. I don't think he'd literally done an Oingo Boingo song. Because he told us, Danny told us during rehearsal, um, when, he was in, when he was in Boingo, Oingo Boingo, um, that he lost his voice every night. Because he wrote all the songs at the top of his register. Right. And the band would play really loud. And he was in a rock and roll show. And so he'd go back to the room and drink tea and, you know, take a shower and, you know, try to loosen try up. To yeah. Steam it out. Uh, and so he hadn't been, he hadn't done that in, you know, he's not a rock, he'd been, obviously he can sing and he'd right. been doing the Tim Burton thing. Yeah, you can't just jump into that. Right. That's not a, hey, let me just punch that out. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Let me, let me less, uh, let loose with this <laughs> rock thing, especially over an orchestra. So then we went to the Hollywood Bowl the next day and, and, and that was on the day of the show. Uh, and so I took pictures of it and, you know, videos. I, 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 like I said to my wife, I felt like a five-year-old. I woke up in the morning and I was like <laughs> giggling with excitement, <laughs> bubbles coming out of my nose. Like I've never had this much fun in my life. And so we went over and we got, they put us in costumes. I, uh, I got a fez. I wore a fez and sunglasses on. It was good fun. And then um, uh, the orchestra, 100-piece orchestra, and a 20-piece choir. Oh, wow. And wow. us. So we were, I don't know what you'd call us, featured singers. Sure. Uh, there was five of us. And uh, then Danny, um, Pee Wee, Catherine O'Hara, and Ken Page, who sang Oogie Boogie. Right? So everybody from the fucking movie, right? So uh, the John would start, and everybody would cheer, and they'd, they'd cheer the beginning. And then he'd play the overture, which was quite beautiful that you don't get to hear. Um, on the, If you watch it on DVD, mm-hmm. it might be on the DVD, but... I don't think it's in the movie. Um, there's an overture, which is, and I came to appreciate, not that I didn't appreciate Danny's music before, but getting to hear it with a full orchestra for three or four days was just like, wow. You could feel the wind come off it too. Yeah. But you're oh, in the yeah. room, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, sitting right in front of like the second cello, which was, who was right behind us, you know, and you hear, like right in here. And of course I had to wear, um, uh, in-ear monitors? Did yeah. you use in-ears? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, all those singers had their own. Right. Custom made. Right. Because yeah, yeah. they have them done for their ears. Right. And of course, they just gave me any old pair. Yeah. And they kept shooting out. Here's every... a Chuck's old pair. Hope right. they fit. Yeah. 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 Here's one for the person with the smallest ears of all time. <laughs> so I put them in and after singing two lines, your jaw working, they come shooting oh, out. Oh, no. You know? yep. And the guy was like, do you want me to tape them in? And I'm like, no, I don't <laughs> want you to tape them in. It's not an old pair of glasses. Yeah. I'll just keep 
pushing them back in because <laughs> so they gave us a click track and everything on the night but um oh, okay uh, which I assume they would yeah 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 but so I never really saw the check. movie uh, to, for the two nights we did it because wow. uh, we couldn't really hear it and all you could hear was kind of the audience sometimes and I had the bloody things in my ears but then Danny would come out and sing and then they'd stop the show and then um, uh, they brought out a violinist and she did a number and they stopped the show and they bring out Catherine so they kept stopping the movie and then bringing people out and then they'd sing to the, we'd sing to the movie so it was an extraordinary experience and um uh, because it was on Halloween in LA and they'd never done it before in the States, everyone came in costume. They had a costume contest. They had candy everywhere. Like, I went out on campus a little bit before. I was going to ask you to roll oh, yeah, around yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. Of course, to. of course. Yeah, sure. Uh, and everywhere you went, there was uh, candy at all the different stations, and they just give you bags of candy. And you'd see whole families come in dressed as uh, uh, all uh, the Sally and, and yeah, yeah, and Jack and everybody, Oogie Boogie, whatnot. And, um, um, one, and they'd have a costume contest before the show, which we'd watch. And, um, one night it was the dead reindeer. A group of people came as the dead reindeer that are in the end of the movie, and they won, and they, and they looked fantastic. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, the atmosphere was electric, and I didn't realize, you know, uh, because I live in my own fantasy land, that the movie was. I mean, I let me put it this way: when it came out, I remember it did okay. But yeah, it wasn't right. a smash. It, yeah, it was definitely a cult thing. It was right. like, oh, this is kind of edgy and the, weird for this the mainstream. Will, I'm trying to think. This will hurt you, but I think uh, that was my freshman year of high school, I think, when that movie it came out. It won't hurt. There's people in the <laughs> cast that weren't born when the movie came out. Right. And uh, I distinctly remember that happening and it being like the ulti cool, you know? Right. And I, I want to say one of the fast food chains got in on it, like, you know, with yeah, giveaways with their meals or Burger remember. King. Yeah, it was definitely not the main player. Right. It was like the one that was like, well, we'll get the weird thing, you know? Yeah, yeah the weird people that like the weird stuff so i remember that kind of being the vibe with it but right? uh, it was uh, but now, we loved it we all i mean my wife and i watch it every year do every you really tradition See, yeah, it, yeah. it became a christmas classic which yeah. i didn't realize uh yeah it's it's ingrained now man there's no it is it's part of the thing it's like rudolph or whatever mm -hmm. when i was little um but it, yeah, when it came out, I think it was slightly edgy. Yeah, for mainstream well, it was very America. dark and weird. Yeah, and because like, it's got parents weren't sure if kids should be watching it. Right, like, there right. was a lot of discussion about that. I remember. Right, there's yeah. people with axes in their heads, singing parts, and yeah, and dead people, and they use dead things, and and they're not particularly, they're not malicious, but it's not like lovable. Yeah, it's just the backdrop. That's yeah. the, it's a weird tone for yeah, kids to get absorbed into. Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess that speaks to a couple things of the, the Tim Burtonization of the cultures that. Because his ethos and his aesthetic has been there so long. Yeah. Are you guys guests of the hotel? I am, yes. 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 You are. I am. Okay. Yeah. Is that okay? Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Thank, thank you, you very sir. much, sir. Okay. We're not bothering nobody, are we? No, it's okay. 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 Thank you. Well, that'll be an exciting part to leave in the podcast. <laughs> Security <laughs> came down. We, we should have said scolded. no. Yeah, what would have? How far do you think it would have gone? Mm, they would have chucked us. Yeah, you think? What, yeah. But you need a wristband to get back in. You would have been screwed. I don't know what it is tomorrow <laughs> on Thanksgiving. Yeah, you get thrown out you on didn't Thanksgiving. didn't ask to see my key. Yeah. Well, we're good. We're in Guess the Guests in this hotel. I own this hotel. <laughs> I'm William Randolph Hearst. Uh, yeah, anyway, to make a long story longer, uh, I, I was very... I was. It's the most fun I've ever had. And yeah. I, I've... Uh, this is what a, horrible, I, I will, but it's been a big year as far as performing because... Well, the, the Who's Line thing, you guys... We did Who's Line. Back in the UK, right? Yeah, we did Who's Line on the West End in London oh. in, in uh, uh, July. And that was amazing. So I've I've gotten the opportunity. And I, I never really mark saw any of this coming at this late date. Not that I'm 
Wait, are you, are you passing soon? Or I was going to say, it? no, oh, no, it's just that I've been doing it so long. Yeah. Uh, How many uh, years in the books officially? Let's uh, let, like let's set it right now, the marker, like professionally, right? Because I guess the first time you get paid is when you, you mark the yeah. beginning of a professional career. So Well, or if you, uh, w- uh, when I quit my job with 86. Okay. But when I first started getting paid, it was like probably 79. And when I first started doing sta- paid stand-up on a regular basis, probably 82. Okay. Oh, the year of Tron. That's the year of Tron. The year of Tron. Yeah. Blow him away. <laughs> uh, so 30 years. <laughs> End of line. 30 years, right. easily. Wow. Um, wow. So it must feel really good. That feeling was. of walking out on stage at the Hollywood Bowl to take your position. I couldn't do it enough. I oh. couldn't wait to get out there. Sure. I'd, so the first night we're taking bows, and I ended up in between Pee Wee and Danny. Through no doing of my own, it just so happened we all ran back on. And all of the chorus was dismissed. Like, we were, they all left, and I was still in between them, standing there fucking bowing. And then I look, and I see that all of my mates, the people I'm with, right. have split the yeah, scene. Yeah, they pieced out, yeah. And I run, you know, like, oh, I better go, too. My wife was like, that was hilarious. You stood out there between... <laughs> Stage mirrors. And like, I was like, dude, they need to take a photo. Yeah, Get yeah, out yeah. of there. <laughs> because I was... Com- and... And I was in hysterics. I could see the At headline. That point, I was in hysterics. Sex player plays extended solo, right, right, and it's right, just right. a photo. You to- still on toy stage. duck interrupts <laughs> stars. Uh, <laughs> I was I was literally in hysterics, laughing at the top of my voice right. because I was so happy. Then we did it one more night, which was glorious. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so we, we we'll see what happens. I, I can't make any promises, and I don't. I'm not going to speak for Danny or any right. of his people, but there's a possibility. Blah blah blah. If we don't do it again, I did it, and it was grand. Um, I think he really enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and I think it was fun for him to do a Boingo song. It's been a long time. I'm again. I'm. I said I wasn't going to speak for him, and now I'm speaking for him. But yeah. You know, I was there with him, and I saw you could his feel face, it. You and, could uh, feel it. We were all having a good time. Well, if anything, it's encouragement for him to do it. You know, maybe it pushes him over the edge. Also, you know? it's it's the kind of it's a classical music event because soundtrack music is under that category, and it's also a family event. Mm-hmm. Everybody brought their kids, and it's also an accessible thing that people can get into that has an orchestra. So there's not the intimidation of you're going to see Mahler or you're you're right. going to see. Uh, something that you or, or even more you know intimidating this is you know uh, J- John Cage or some really uh, you know experimental thing that you you're not sure whether you're gonna like because what if it's polyrhythmic and atonal and right and, uh, or People non-rhythmic and atonal uh, or just 13 seconds of silence right. or whatever that one movie yeah, right, was right. it was right. like here's the final frontier of music yeah we're not playing music. Yeah. <laughs> it's the music that's not being played Thank what you. a ripoff by the way they, <laughs> I wonder if that was a ticketed event you know like going in like oh man I dropped 300 on these seats this is gonna be great I, mean, I saw uh, I saw John Cale with my wife in Brooklyn two years ago at the BAM and um, okay he did one night it was a tribute to Nico which was fantastic because he brought out all these other singers and they sang Nico songs and then he was the band oh, cool. uh, including Peaches uh-huh. who uh, speaks fluent German uh-huh. and so she sang two songs in German oh, which cool. was really you speak like, German? I don't, nine. Uh, do you? Yeah. Oh, look at you. And I should, too. My whole family's. Whenever we go to Germany, and it's always a joke with my wife and I, everyone speaks German to me because of the way I look. I look German. Uh, sadly. I wish I looked like Marcello Mastroianni, but... Uh, yes, yeah, so, and then the next... Never ni- satisfied, Bruce. Right, no, never, never satisfied. Of course not. We're, we're horrible. The next night is uh, was John... Kale did um, Paris 1919, which was this giant symphony he wrote. So the first part of the show was 
the symphony. It was about an hour. Mm-hmm. And he had strings and the whole enchilada. And then the next hour was like just selections of his career, closing with um, uh, shiny, shiny boots of leather. Right? He did Venus in first to close wow. the show with this orchestra. And it was sensational. And, you know, it's a rock and roll show. It was, an or- it was a symphony. It was, And so I kind of feel like the nightmare thing is uh, in that, and I, I wouldn't put it a, in the same category as John Cale, but it, is, it certainly had the accessibility of a rock and roll show, the fun of a movie, of a cartoon. Right. right. Uh, so, yeah, it was a worthy... Uh, and then, yeah, Whose Line, we... Uh, you know, we've all been on the road forever and ever. Uh, Colin and Brad have a team. And Wayne's got a, a group with Johnny Mangum. Right. I'm in a group with Ryan and Jeff and Joel. And... Um, the summer came around and the producers of Whose Line decided, the TV producers, by the way, decided they These wanted to... These are the old UK TV producers. Yeah, and they so do the American one too. everybody knows here in the States, right? Right, yeah, they, they do, do the American one, but this was focused in the UK. Yeah, this right. is for the UK. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do the West End, uh, which uh, to, to hip your listeners would be the equivalent of Broadway. Right. right? right. So, uh, we the... <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's York. all good. We're yeah. in New York, man. Sydney, it's, it's cold. Yeah, just uh, just so the audience members don't know, there's a guy actually taking a shit next to Greg right now. <laughs> while the uh, <laughs> other man on his left-hand side is eating a Snickers. Uh, we we came to this room because it was quiet and <laughs> right. uninhabited, and now it's people shouting down the phone. <laughs> anyway, they, they call me and they go, well, we're doing uh, the West End, and will you do it? And that's this not. And so I did it. Uh, it was me calling Josie. And Brad and Linda and Laura okay. from the TV show Linda Taylor and Laura Hall, sure, who've done the TV version in America for hundred years. Yep, yep. And um, and then Stephen Frost, who did the British one, sat in for Josie when she didn't do it, and we did it for two weeks on the West End, and that was like doing a Broadway show. It was eight shows a week, two on two on Saturday, two on Sunday, with wow. a couple an hour in between or whatever, and the shows were two and a half hours long, and we did like. 25 games 30 games we did a lot of games so we would turn to each other in the middle of the show and go 18 wow 19 right right and and fast and furious like tv pace but on stage right. so yeah no breaks right? yeah we would just do these bits and just throw you know pour, and london's hot in the summer now mm-hmm. and there was ac sometimes in the theater it broke a few times let me put it this way. I didn't gain a lot of weight during those two weeks. And <laughs> it was four or five stories to my dressing room. So Okay. Oh, uh, so, yeah. The other guys would take the, the, the lift, lift, if the you lift, will. Right? Yeah. But I ran. I ran the whole time. Good I, for If you. I'm going to do this, I'm going to. Yeah, you're all in. I'm going to do it right. So I ran and ran and ran. Uh, and uh, it was extraordinary. I mean, the thing about, not like you said, like I'm about to pass, but at, at, in my 50s, which I am, uh, it's uh, for me. It's a matter of trying to slow things down. Like while I'm on stage, I remember the last night we did the Who's Line show. Uh, we came out to take a bow, and I remember just looking over at Laura and Linda, looking at Josie and Colin and Brad, looking at the stage, looking at Clive. Clive was there. Cool. Uh, and just taking it in. Right. Just taking it in. Because you're busy working, you're working, so you're trying to get laughs, and you're failing, and you're, you know, sweating, and, and all the things you're doing when you're doing improv. But at the same time, I thought, I might never do this again. And it was the same thing with the Hollywood Bowl. When we'd be sitting there, uh, not singing for ages because the movie would be going or whatever, I'd just be like, letting it wash over me. That Realize where you are and what you're doing. You're supposed to, when you're an improviser, be in the moment. Right, right. But moments are ephemeral. And, and also, I'm, I'm jumpy type A type, so I'm always thinking about the next thing. 
as as I think most artists are. Like yeah. when you're a comedian, you're, you're worried about where I got to get to the next level. I got to get that next thing. I got to instead of just enjoying, you know, your path. The same way, uh, played a show last weekend, and I'm sitting there playing drums, and I'm looking out, going, I got to like soak this up. Like yeah. the set's gonna be over in four songs. Yeah. Like, like I, I I'm obsessed with doing this, but at the same time, like. You know, I don't know how long I have my limbs, you know, they're right. working now, but you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, Plus it's, in 20 years time, you'll think back, why didn't I think more about, cause I was thinking about it today, like stuff you do in your thirties, you right. know, you think you have all the time in the world right? and uh, rush, rush, rush. And I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And then when you think back on it, you go like, Oh, I wish I'd spent a little more time cogitating over. Yeah. Yeah. That was 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> on what was going on. Maybe it's not like you don't enjoy it. It's just that you're living your life and we're humans and that's how we... I think about the people that I met and the opportunities I had to meet other people or to hang out with them and that you, that I blew off just because I was busy on the night. Right. And now I would give anything to go back and be able to stop time. And uh, is, is there one specific moment you remember having a conversation with somebody and you diverted the path and you went a different way and you're like, and it's still to this day? We were invited to a party... Uh, after party of the Pogues in Dublin in the 90s and we didn't go because I was tired. <laughs> that was bad. And then at this very hotel here at the work, um, in 97 I did a baseball documentary for Radio 5 uh, for a British crowd. So okay. it was on my terms, baby, right? Oh, like nice. This is me explaining baseball to England and yeah. they don't care. Yeah, yeah. Especially then. Yeah. Um, and Larry Ritter was here at this hotel with me and Larry Ritter wrote The Glory of Their Times and Larry Ritter interviewed all of the contemporaries of Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb in the late 50s and early 60s with a tape, a reel-to-reel tape recorder. He went around the country in his car with a reel-to-reel tape recorder and interviewed Wahoo Crawford and Rube Marquardt and all these people. And he and I got to spend several afternoons together here. And he brought me all of his books and he brought me uh, the cassette and of the interviews with all these old-time players. So it's old-time players going, well, I grew up on a farm in Nebraska. We'd go down to the firehouse, you know, Sure. See, this is how the real the link between a hundred years ago and now is talking about ballplayers who played in the 1890s, early 1900s, Cobb and whatnot. And I think he asked me to go hang out with him one day, and I didn't. And it's like, what was I doing? I did go to a Yankees game with him. Okay. And we got to hang out all night. So there's that. Uh, But he passed, and I realized now, and uh, you know, he sent me postcards and stuff. We, We corresponded. And then I, now I like find the postcards in books. Like, why didn't I put those all in a special place? Yeah. And I mean, I kept all his books. I have a bunch of autograph books okay. by him. And he was the nicest guy. And I remember I said to him, um, did you read this book? There was a book that came out in the late 90s called Men in Blue, where a guy had gone through all the umpires and interviewed all them, including Emmett Ashford, who's the first black umpire. Who's sort of the Jackie Robinson of yeah, black umpires. Because sure. all of a sudden now there's a black guy yelling at you. <laughs> Right, and then their players weren't ready for that. That's a yeah, I said, you're out. <laughs> Sit down, right? Or you, you're out of the game. Like having to throw out white managers and stuff. And uh, I said, did you read the book? And Larry goes, yeah, I read it. I don't know how the guy could have sat through interviewing all those umpires. It's like talking to fucking cops. <laughs> Uh, that's a great line. Anyway, yeah, so there's, yeah. I can think of a few <clears throat> moments that I wish I'd... Uh, well, I got well, to work with Joan Rivers in 2007 for like a whole year. In oh, 2006, cool. I know Melissa and Joan, and uh, mm-hmm. I did the TV Guide channel with them when they were on TV Guide. And I got her to do my show in LA, so I actually have tape of her and me together. Cool, and, cool. And I have tape of her and me on TV and stuff, but why didn't I say, let's go to dinner one night? Yeah. 
why didn't I say I'd like to let's have coffee? <laughs> the fear of crossing that line. Does I that don't know. still she exist? She was as genial and you professional know? as could be, and she yeah. was always completely kind and generous and wonderful to me. And I feel I went and saw her in a play after that that she asked me to be in, and I turned down being in a play with her. Um, so yeah, there's a few there's things a few. that I would. Uh, okay. I don't know that I, like I regret them at the end of my life. Oh, I, I was gonna say you're 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 doing all right, man. You you you're. Exactly where you need to be right now, and if you didn't make those decisions, you might not be, right? So you gotta at least look at it that way. Yeah, I know, and and also, at the end of the day, is show business, is it being a rich asshole who has an assistant, or is it going out and gigging? And for me, it's going out and gigging. Like I have, I have famous friends, and I have rich friends. I'm sure you do too, and. Uh, I remember talking to one recently, and uh, he's like, "Oh, is this still going on here and here?" And I thought, "It's not that hard to know." Yeah, yeah. We, we but you got to go out. Yeah, you got to go out. You can't. S- I don't want someone to pick up my mail for me. Uh. I don't someone want someone to do the dishes for me. I I, I never wanted. I, I don't know if that's the trade-off, but when you get to a certain level, assistance call. Someone's assistant will email you yeah. and go, well, so-and-so wants you to have dinner, do this yeah. or whatever. And you're like, well, okay. <laughs> I don't have an assistant, so I'm going to just call you back myself if that's all right. And, you're right. Well, you know how it is in Hollywood, too. Your manager doesn't even call you. Yeah. The manager's assistant calls you and goes, your manager's on the line. <laughs> and then you have to accept their call. It's so weird. It's it's I mean, like uh, it's to me like like I'm doing the Bell House uh, tomorrow or Friday. <laughs> Thank yeah, God I'm not doing it tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, I go I go and talk to everybody at the show. You know, I when people are coming into the show, I go out or yeah, as we say yeah. in New York, online as right. opposed to inline. Where we're in, in California, we are we're inline like skates. In New York, you're online. Like we're the in the internet. UK. You're in the queue. Right? In your queue yeah. on the queue. Go out on your cave, meet your, pun- meet your punters. <laughs> and I meet the punters. And, uh, <laughs> right. But I shake hands with everybody and I talk to everybody. And they give me gifts and we exchange ideas and we talk. And, like, to me, that's what comedy is. Mm-hmm. And not every night. If I was doing stand up, I wouldn't do it. Stand up requires a little bit of The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Don't look behind the curtain. Right, right. If you meet me and talk to me beforehand, you're not going to like the show as well. You're just not. But with the podcast, it's the opposite. And I don't know why. With the podcast, when they meet me and talk to me before, they're completely relaxed and the intimacy's there. Mm-hmm. Then I can start in, like, I don't have to start at square one, I can start in the middle. Whereas with stand-up, you have to be presenting. You want to be honest and you want them to connect with you. It's the, like when you do um, these corporate gigs that you get sometimes. Um, I learned years ago when they go, we want you to eat with us beforehand, with the client. And so I did it, I think, once, you know, in the, when I was first starting. So you eat dinner with them, then you get up on stage right after you've eaten with them. And they're yeah. like, well, he ain't funny. He was funny during dinner, but that ain't yeah. as funny. As... And it ruins it. And it's like, that intimacy can ruin the show. So at a stand-up show, I would never go talk to everybody before I did stand-up because I want them to see me for the first time when I'm up there. Afterward, I can talk. Right. But with the podcast, I talk to everybody before. Then when I get up there, they're like, well, we already met him. And, they, and people will write online, you know, especially in England where nobody does this. Yeah. I did the Hay Festival in Wales uh, last year. And uh, 
we didn't charge anything for the show. I think it was eight quid or something, which is about 10, 12 bucks. Quid, see what I did? I, and, uh, I love the, uh, it's like the equivalent of Spanglish, but with yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> the I, American I totally UK can. thing. The but wind, I'm right there the with windscreen. you. I'm a huge football fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm an Arsenal support. I'm, I'm ingrained. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Arsenal, that's yeah. right. That's why I thought you were English, because it says Arsenal on your Twitter feed. Uh, <laughs> oh, which nice. is Clive's you team, check too. check that out. What's that? It's Clive's team, too. Yeah. Oh, nice. Highbury Heroes. Yeah, man. Uh, the Gunners. Invincibles, Vegas. Yep. The coked up team from the 80s. Yeah. Um, I have a jersey from that era. Yeah. <laughs> My dad's like, you might want to scrap that one. Like, oh, no, no. You no, got no. it for me. No, you don't want to. <laughs> Glorious days. Great yeah, days. They were. They were. Well, uh, yeah. And of course, I do it on the show all the time because uh, I've worked all that in. I say, uh, uh, nobody nobody walks up the pitch up. People bowl in. Uh, right. All the things English people do. We take lifts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't say lorry, <clears throat> but, uh, and the audience always likes it. Uh, because people, people pick up on the the lingo. Mm-hmm. He, 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 this guy pitches up. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, I can't remember what I was talking about now. I've yeah. lost the thread of. <laughs> I'm gonna see if you can grab it. I know. I, uh, give me a second, and I will. Oh, it's the it's the meeting people. Yes. In England, uh, so I'm at the Hay Festival, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's a outdoor fair kind of like you're in tents, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where the events take place, and because we charged a little bit place was packed uh there might have been like fucking 700 people for a podcast right because we charged eight pounds and uh That's half great. the people got up to leave about an hour and something in and i started hectoring them and then i realized they were all going to see hugh masakela who was playing next door right the, the fabulous south african <laughs> jazz trumpeter fair, fair enough <laughs> and uh, yeah fair enough and uh so um i went out in front to the queue and i was talking to everybody and walking up and down and shaking hands and stuff. And two of the security guards there go, we've been working this festival for 20 years and we've never seen anyone do that. And it's like, well, they're authors. By and large, it's authors. Mm-hmm. Although we saw Ray Davis from The Kinks. Oh, he cool. did a show. Nice. Uh, Carrie Fisher was there when we were there. Nice. So everybody's there, you know, book, record, this, that. Uh, and I was the only one without a book. This was the year before I had the book. So I said, can I come back this year when I had the book? And they're like, no, you did it last year. Oh, like, no. I had the book this year. Uh, I, go, I said, I started my show with, I'm the only person here without a bloody book. But I'm working on it. Uh, and so... Uh, yeah, England's not, as you know, not warm and lovable. They don't, they don't snug each other before the show. So for me to go out and talk to everybody, like sure. they sometimes they don't even say anything. They'll just stare at me. And, <laughs> right. You know, I go, this is part of your punishment. You have to meet me. And they love that. You know, like awkwardly. Right. But there are also America, people course, that people, won't. Can I get a picture? You know? Right. And 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 uh, to this point, uh, if if you say. If you if you're performing in front of a crowd and you go oh anyone here from Cleveland or right. whoever ah oh, Cleveland uh, you know and you say that in England everyone uh, they, they uh, cower and hide like oh, how's you know what uh, my uh, hometown yeah. how do you know where I'm from you know why, why do you think we're from Deptford yeah. what are you saying yeah. about us yeah what do you <laughs> what does that mean why are you bringing that up well everything's class and, and status as it were <laughs> right the class is so so unbelievably important to them the way people speak and. Dick, as uh, all those hard T's. George huh? Bernard Shaw said, "Yeah, You're not gonna give it up." <laughs> the minute, what is it? The what was it? Learner and low. The, make some other Englishman despise him as soon as you talk. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> drop their accents or change their accents in England, and then a lot of uh, Americans pick up an English accent. I'm always making fun of Madonna when she came back from England. Oh, sure. She's, all of a sudden, she's talking like this, and it's like it's the hockey syndrome too. In, in northern, the, the North Coast, as I call it, you mm-hmm. know, if they play hockey, whatever, all of a sudden you're into that Canadian. Yeah, all of a sudden it's like, know. Daddy. Yeah. Hey, Mark. 
I saw you played the drums here in that game. Yeah, great job of that yeah, game. Job, I know. Yeah. It's a fantastic pass you made me. It's like, yeah. wait, I'm not even playing. What? Right. <laughs> <don't> play hockey. <laughs> well, my wife said to me, when, oh, we'd lived there like a year, and I was starting to pick it up, the accent. And she goes, um, stop it. She says, um, you're not one of them. She said the exact words, you're not one of them. She goes, what you have to sell is that you're not one of them. What you're selling is you're American. Yeah. So don't speak like them. So I pick up the lingo. Right. But Which is even funnier in an American right, accent. Not right? the accent, yeah. yeah. Cause, and then people say to me, are you English? And it's like, no. And they're like, but you, you lived in England. I'm like, yeah, but I don't. If I was English, I would have a much different accent. I would say dance. <laughs> right. Well, you can't boss. do that. And then people, what did yeah, you say to yeah, me? Yeah, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> What's the big joke in, um, <clears throat> in England always with the sound of music? Oh, right. What is it you can't face? Yeah, yeah what is it you can't face? <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> Which so to them is hilarious beyond all measure. And Americans <laughs> like, what do you mean? And then, oh. I, I get it. I get it. Maria, what is it you can't Oh, Mother Superior, what is it you can't face? <laughs> all right, Proops. <laughs> I got to ask you this before I forget. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little sidebar, but if anybody can answer this question, it's you. Uh, I'm a big fan of this movie uh, from the Zucker Brothers. It went straight to, I maybe it played theatrically for, for not even the entire film before they removed it from the theater. Uh, there's a film called Brain Donors. Are you aware of this? Yeah, with Kevin Pollack, uh, John Turturro. John Turturro, sure. Yeah. And uh, Mel Mel, Mel Smith. Smith. Yep. Yeah. And uh, there's a there's a great line in there where uh, Turturro says, "Pagna gluten." And I have never heard that word before. I don't know what it means. I don't know how to spell it to look it up. And every time I try to, Google can't correct me well enough to get to the bottom of this word is, I say pagnagluten. Is it a real word? I don't, don't know. know. And you're going to ask me what it is. And I'm asking you. If anyone can answer this question. Pagnagluten. Yeah, well, pagnagluten. obviously it's a Greek, uh, you know, Latin type <laughs> word. Uh, <laughs> right. I don't know what gluten means in wheat. <laughs> right. I don't know what pognogluten means. That's amazing. I, I'll make up an answer. I'm going to say it's some sort of... Because they were crap doctors in the movie, I'm going to say it's some either bullshitted medical term or okay. it means some kind of horrible um, blood uh, blood disease or blood uh, okay. type thing. Okay. That would Something be my to do guess with the blood. on that one. <laughs> right. I remember when the movie came out because they're doing the Marx Brothers in it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's big up. time Marx Brothers. It's so oh, is doing Groucho. And they're all doing great stuff, man. Very underrated movie. I, I always suggest people to watch Kevin it. Kevin Pollack gave me a, a really nice piece of advice when he made that movie. Uh, I know Kevin for a long time and uh, I was working with him as a feature act. He was headlining. This was in 93 and I wanted to do Whose Line and Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I was eating dinner with him at Cobb's Comedy Club, and I said, what should I do? And he went, here's what you do. And I said, but they're going to fire me from all these things if I do this. And he went, they're not. And I went, but they are. I'm insecure, and they're going to fire me. And he went, they're not going to fire you. I'm telling you, they're, that's they've booked you. You have to exert yourself here. And I did, and it worked. And wow. I've always been grateful to him for that. Cause wow, he was, great advice. He yeah. gave me sage and then he told me a story about brain donors, which I will not share because it's his story. Okay, I'll ask him the next time I see him. Yeah, like Kevin's that. great. But, uh, he was, he said, here, you know, Kevin, let me explain something to him. And he, and he, and he, <laughs> he told me what was what. And uh, so I, over the years, I've gone to him for, there's a few cats that I'll ask uh, advice of a, I, I feel like I'm not very good at uh, the game of show business. I'm not that schmoozy. I'm a little too much of a lone wolf. I've I've always kind of been on my own. Uh, 
It's not a bad thing and to I be. I, I'm in a couple gangs, but yeah. no, you know, I, I really should have worked harder to be in the Judd Apatow's gang. Yeah, know? I was gonna say you're, you're clearly not in the <laughs> Seth Rogen crew. No, or I, need, the, I needed to work on that more. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the Who's Line gang, which mm-hmm. has been nice because uh, I've got those guys. But uh, uh, so th- there's a few people like Kevin that I, if if I ever get really panicked over something, I'll call him and go like, "What should I do?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> what does one do here? Right. And because he's such a calm show business guy mm-hmm. and he's done everything, everything you can do in show business. Yeah. All right. Kid, here's what you do. Don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> and it's nice. And then he, he had me in his, his picture, you know, that he made last year, which yeah. was really nice. Which and I saw and we did a big Q&A with him. Yeah. yeah was great. I, I love him for doing that and making a movie about what sad, neurotic mm-hmm. fuckers we are, you know. Sure. Yeah, it's hey, I hang in my head. I mean, I, I was off to a great start with my last name, so I, I reached that end game quick, Proops, as I'm sure you did. A, I'm sure you did too. And comedy was survival, right? That's how you got out. Yeah, that's how I got exactly out. Exactly how you got yeah, out. Yeah, it's true. That's how I comedy got out. is survival. All right. Um, I didn't have, unfortunately, um, I didn't have enough time to put this together. I had this great game for you because I'm just coming off a vacation or a okay. holiday, if you will. Yeah, and, uh, holiday, have you? yeah, and I'm back in the states, and I wanted to put together uh, a list of baseball names. I'm air quoting here to see if you could uh, tell if they were real baseball names or fake baseball names. Okay. Because to me, I think when you hear a baseball name, you know it's a baseball name. You sure. know, I say Delino De Shields. That's got to be a right. baseball guy, right? That's that's a baseball guy. So unfortunately, I can't play that game with you to to see if you can tell if they're real or fake. So we'll just. Uh, what are some of your favorite all time baseball names that you well, just love saying because it's just Peter so Lecoq, much- of course, uh, because his actual name is Peter Lecoq. His father was Peter Marshall, who hosted the Hollywood Squares. On his baseball card, some of them say Peter Lecoq. Uh, and then there's a, there's an all dick team that guys have compiled <laughs> right. of, of guys whose names are uh, oh Dick Pole right Dick, Dick. Pole Dick Pole's and a Peter Lacock really are cake takers um, going right at it right Enos, on. Enos Cabell uh, I always thought was a grand name uh, Arrestes Destrada who wasn't a very good player in the bigs but was a superb player in Japan and then became an announcer afterward right um, anyone whose name is from a Greek tragedy. <laughs> I was always um, Asdrubal Cabrera. Right. Um, <laughs> Asdrubal was Hannibal's brother. Um, Hannibal, the great uh, Carthaginian general. His brother was Hasdrubal, uh, who invented this gear by which you killed elephants when they went wild on the pitch, because <laughs> on the pitch, on the battlefield. Right. Uh, the problem with Hannibal's army was once you uh, started the elephants going, and they got a few spears in them. They uh, tended to go nuts and just go any which way. Right. Like they wouldn't necessarily go over the Greeks. They'd come back, or the Romans, they'd come back and go over your own. So as Drupal, Hannibal's brother, invented this, like, spike that you put into their brain to, to wipe them to, out. To do, yeah, put them, I, in, put them I love that there was a ball player, that uh, Coco Crisp, who used to play for Oakland and uh, in Cleveland. Cleveland Indians? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Coco well, Crisp is just. How do you do that? Well, let's let's put together let's put together a, a starting nine, shall we? So behind the plate. Sure. Oh, behind the plate. Behind the plate, catcher. With the best names. Yeah. Uh, maybe even relative to the position. I mean, Johnny Bench. Bench is, oh, is yeah. Johnny a, Bench. It's a great name for and a catcher. I felt so awful because when Yogi Berra died, I realized I was on Jen, on Jay Moore's show. You know, Jay is insane, right? Yeah, like, he's he knows a big everything. Sports guy. Sports yeah, yeah. Way deep, and. Barra had just passed, and we started telling Barra stories. And then he cracks out my book, and he goes, "Your all-time catcher's Johnny Bench, and how do you put Bench above Barra?" Like, right. and I said, "I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed." Barra has more World Series games. He has more hits. He has yeah. more. Although Yogi Barra behind the plate, 
It's pretty good. It's a great name. It's a good name. The man who taught Roy Campanella to catch, and Campanella had three MVPs in the bigs, and then his career was cut short. And he has his ring with the, what, 55 Brooks, uh, was named Biz Mackey. <laughs> So close Biz Mackey. It's yeah. so close. Biz, isn't it? It's so I'm almost close. sure he stole it from I'm him. I'm just going to say, he Biz, must have. Biz Mackey taught, uh, Roy, taught Campy yeah. uh, how to catch. Um, of course, the Negro League players have all the good names. Yeah, Newt they... Allen and <laughs> Devil Wells and uh, Judy, Judy Johnson. Mule Subtle. <laughs> Satchel Page. Uh, okay, so Johnny you, Bench behind the plate. You hear these names, they're just baseball names. You can't take Okay, so so from catcher to pitcher. I mean, I guess we should have went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, yeah, so right. so one, let's, two, let's go to right. one. Uh, the pitcher. Uh, do you have a, like for me, Tom Candiotti always That's sticks out. Candyman Candiotti is a yeah. great, fun one to say. I was going to well. say Blue Moon Odom or uh, Catfish Hunter. Yeah, uh, was Vita Blue a pitcher? Wait, what? Vita did, Blue was yeah, a pitcher. That's a great pitcher for the name. Giants and the Oaklands. Vita Blue. And Kansas City until he got busted and did six months in the joint for Coke. You'll love this. I actually Vita own blue. I own a Dan Quisenberry jersey. Oh, cool. The sky yeah. blue. God bless his uh, soul. Great one-liners, right? Yeah. That guy is very funny, comedic. Yeah, he died too early. Too, I know but, he uh, did, and he played for the Giants at the very end too. And uh-huh. one of the last great pitchers that I remember throwing sidearm. Sidearm so much to the point he would scrape his knuckles yeah, on the submarine. dirt. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, so bizarre that guy. Yeah, Quiz was a good. It was a good guy, I think. And has his ring or two rings, maybe. Yeah, eighty-six with the Royals, uh, right? And uh, eighty-five and uh, or eighty-five was it? Yeah. Maybe 80, was he on that team as well? I, I don't Golly. know. Qui- yeah. One of the hardest signed baseballs to find. Is Quisenberry? A Dan Quisenberry solo signed baseball. Because you can get him with the team, right. right, from the World Series team. I've been looking for 15 years. I have no collector. Every collector's like, wow. I've never seen uh, Who was seen their manager one. too? He died of cancer right after that. Mm. Ferrero or whatever? Like, I can't remember his name. Yeah, I can't remember his name. But, uh, but uh, Vita Blue, when he was on the Oakland A's, uh-huh. was a shit hot pitcher when I was a little kid. Okay. And um, I was just watching the Doc Ellis documentary. And of course, they pitched against each other in the 71 All Star game because Doc Ellis said uh, he did an interview and he goes, They're never going to let two black guys face each other. They're just not going to do it. And of course, that hit the papers and immediately, like, they, okay, we will do yeah, it. Yeah, we're going to do it. Because they had Seaver and Carlton ahead of him, right? Even right. though he had won 13, I think he was 13 and 3 at the break. He had a huge season going. So they did it anyway. And Vitaly was on the cover of Time Magazine, that I remember. And Charlie Finley, who was always a showman who owned the A's, offered him, I think it was 10000 it might have been 20000 to change his name to True. Wow. So he'd be True Blue. Wow. And Vita Blue was like, no. <laughs> Vita means life. My parents named me. Uh, Vita Blue might be, yeah, and one of my favorite. And I was at his last game. He pitched for the Giants for two seasons in the mid-'80s after he came back from Kansas City. And I was at his last start at Candlestick Park. Wow. He threw to the first batter, and he walked him. And then there were words, and he was ejected from the game. I mean, one batter, right? So everybody looked at each other. We didn't know what happened. The next day in the Chronicle, it said, he said to the umpire, kiss my black ass. <laughs> he argued the strike call, which one you're not supposed to do. Right. Right. Umpires hate. Oh, they hate I think there's a rule where you're not supposed to do it at all, but yeah, you yeah. can, but they just don't like it. Yeah. Like, was that, you can say it was that high. Yeah, yeah, you can ask them what was wrong with the pitch. You can say it was that high, was yeah. that low, but if you go, that was a fucking strike, you blind? <laughs> Blue, are you blind? Then they... That it's and he didn't not only did he contest the walk mm-hmm. he said kiss my black ass uh, I mean the umpire rang him yeah just rang him and he just walked off the mound and it was inning one first batter we all went what's happening <laughs> we all came to see so it was that. a great last start 
I have his baseball card in my closet. I'm. Sick. I have some Vita Blue p- uh, cards as well, man. Okay, and so uh, and Paige McConnell from Fish. Here's a little tidbit. Uh, had a side project band called Vita Blue. Yeah, but I was right. released like Mookie Wilson. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Mookie Blaylock. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, first base. Uh, okay, first greatest base. first baseman's names. Yeah. Well, Lou Gehrig's pretty hot. Yeah. Um, if you want to go old school, old, old, old school, uh, there was one who played for Washington named Lou Blue. Lou Blue. Yeah, Lou Blue. And then um, I think if you go from my childhood, he p- he played for the Dodgers and he couldn't really hit. This is before Steve Garvey. His name was Wes Parker. Wes. Okay. Yeah. Wes. Wesley Parker. But he went by Wes. Wes Parker. Wes. Then Ron Fairley played a little first too. Okay. That's a great name. I like uh, Pat Tabler. Pat Tabler. Do you remember Pat Tabler? Of course. Of course. Great. That's a great name as well. Pat Tabler. <laughs> Tabler. It's just where, where do these? I know I've never come across the name Tabler ever no. again uh-uh. since that I day. I don't know anyone named Tabler, day. and I've never seen it anywhere else. Do you think it's uh It's kind of like um, it, this is how nerdy we were as kids, and and we were raised Catholic, which means we're not anymore. Right. right? Uh, w- when we uh, became confirmed, as they would call it, uh, we all picked Jedi names. Right. Oh, we all got names. Uh, I I can't Obi-Wan remember. Yeah, I can't remember. But but um, I wonder if that's the same with baseball. It's like once you make it to the majors, you actually change your name to one of these. Well, look at all the yeah. great Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Babe Ruth. Sure. Those are their real names. I like, know. They didn't change them to that. Uh, and you think, if, if you're going to pick a baseball, if you're, gonna, if you're writing bad fiction, you might write the name Mickey Mantle. Mantle. Right. <laughs> right. What would be your baseball name and your walk-up music? Um, well, Gary Everett and uh, probably You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC. Gary, now Gary Everett sounds like a uh, multifaceted player. You could uh, first, or you I was going to say Gary Everett's a utility player who hits a homer in right, the playoffs. Right, he's the Ben Zobrist. Uh, yeah, stuff. I was going to say, <laughs> if I was a real star, no one's named Gary Everett. No one, no one. No, but Gary like, Everett's a jockey. But you want him on your fantasy team, yeah, right? Because he's going to get you hits in the I, clutch. I was going to say, you play a little second, a little third, maybe some right field. <laughs> some outfield if you had to. You're probably caught in school, but never in again. Pitched as a youngster. Yeah, well, like two, 248 uh, lifetime hitter, but you know, maybe a coach later. It's got to be a strong name, like Pujols. No, it has to be better. Right. It has to be like, uh, you know, J- J- Jimmy Sampson or some, some sort of awesome. I remember doing an yeah, interview. historical name, right? Right. It's got to be something. No, I know. I, like, uh, like um, Churchill. Yeah, Mickey yeah. Cochran. Like Johnson just, Churchill. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, what, two it? last names? This is ridiculous. Or Otis Nixon. Dude, Otis Nixon. Remember Otis Nixon and his brother Don L. Nixon. He played for the Indians, Otis Nixon. He did for a little bit. And uh, and, uh, uh, was on the World Series. Otis Nixon. He was a brave, too. Yeah, he was a brave. He was a brave. uh, Don L., his untalented brother, played for the Giants for years. Uh, We also had a a, a utility outfielder named Max Venable, who, of course, we called Slapsy Maxi. Then there was Glenn Allen Hill, who played for the Cubs. And he played for the Indians as well. Yeah, I'm sorry did. I keep bringing up Cleveland. I don't know why these names are popping he in looked, my head. Uh, Glenn Allen Hill Glenn looked Allen like Hill. the greatest athlete that he ever was walked a, he Was, a, on was the he a basketball player first and he then switched to baseball? He was such a stud. And he yeah. just oh, no, that was Kenny Lofton. Kenny sorry. Lofton. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kenny, Kenny Lofton. He yeah. played for the Clevelands, too. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the Giants. Glenn Allen Hill. He might have been a basketball player. I don't know. All Barry Bonds guys. was such a beast when we won the 2002. Barry, no. Yeah. All these from San Carlos, where I'm from. Okay. My cousin Donnie played basketball against him when we were little. Yeah, um, when, when he was, was little no, as well, right? no black families in my town. And Barry Bonds, I knew the two black people that went to my high school and grade school because we all went to school together for mm-hmm. the, uh, and But Barry moved there, and uh, they lived on the other side of San Carlos. And not only was his father, Bobby, a great ball player, yeah. all of his aunts were also lettered athletes. Like, everyone in that family could run like the wind and throw like a monster. There was no one in that family who was an athletic, like... 
Barry might not even have been the best athlete in his own family, if uh, you know what I mean. Sure, like, it's like the actor makes it big, and he's probably not the best actor right. in his family. Well, I, mean, I saw Bobby when I was little. Bobby sure. was my hero. and He was big time. As great of a player, and I think Barry's the greatest player, Bobby could throw better than him. Bobby was a better fielder than him, and Bobby was a better base runner than him. <laughs> and, and Barry's still the greatest player. Yeah. Uh, and Bobby could hit home runs like mad, but didn't have the discipline at the plate. Bobby'd strike out 187 times, and Barry'd strike out, you know, 60. Sure. Hey, that's a big difference. Oh, yes, it is. It's a game-changing difference, you know. Well, it's the difference between going to the Hall of Fame. Also, Bobby Bobby drank a lot, but uh, he had his other demons. But he was a fabulous ball player. And at the beginning, at least, bigger, like, m- more like a fullback. Like big broad shoulders, yeah. tall, good frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when he'd come wheeling around first, baby, or when he'd make a throw from center, you were like, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah, you're getting that double play ball yeah, off this quick. Dude is, you're yeah, not, this dude's yeah. huge. Uh, Bobby Bonds is quite a. How do you make that up? I don't know. Bobby Bonds. All right, I'm gonna put him in right. I'm gonna put Cookie Rojas at yes. second because I love his name yes. so much. I'm putting Pee Wee Reese at short. Okay. Because how can you be named? Uh, I'm a second base. Can we go with Jeff Blauser? Oh, yeah. Jeff Can we go Blauser. With Jeff I remember Blauser. Blauser. Remember that guy? Jeff Blauser. Of course, of course did. Oh, Fine the first. player. Oh, man. And all well, those great announcers go, down uh, in Atlanta. If you want to go uh, okay. uh, alliterative, you could go Walt Weiss. Yeah, yeah Walt Weiss. That, that's why I brought up Delino DeShields. Yeah, Delino DeShields. One of the greatest sports center calls I ever heard was uh, Deliner to the left field by uh, Delino DeShields. Hilarious. I was like, ah, oh, owned Cesar it. Cesar Cedeno. <laughs> He had a great name. Ah, oh, they're all just made up. All right, well, this will this will beg the last question. This is how right. I usually end all my interviews. All right. uh, we have to have a part two to this because uh, I've barely tapped your brain. We haven't even touched voice, the voiceover world, really. Um, all right, Mr. Proops, uh, when did you realize uh, you weren't going to be a professional athlete? Uh, when early did that, on. Yeah. I caught the drift early. I was desperate to be a ball player. And then by, I think, about nine 10 okay second or third year in little league when i realized that i was never going to start in a game and this was in little league where they weren't that good now was your dad the coach was uh, no a- my dad was not the coach and my dad had a <clears throat> arch brooklyn sense of humor and he would say things like throw yourself in front of the ball and shit like that <laughs> like he was not that encouraging. Yeah, knock it down let someone else pick it up. yeah he was aware that i was not going to hit at any point um and hitting was anybody like you know what i mean no one needs a no hit good field nine-year-old you know what i mean like in little league you kind of had to hit so were you the substitute right fielder oh, were you the yeah <laughs> i played a little right uh then like the second or third season mr caruso let me play um second in mr. a game caruso there's another name mr That's... caruso kevin caruso who used to smoke marlboros and the while he was hitting us fungos and stuff and um so he put me in at second because i had a good practice or something you know, I, I picked up a few balls, so right. he's like, "All right, I'm gonna let the freaking little yeah. short kid with the glasses." Yeah, he play. paid. He paid. Yeah, he's yeah. gotta get it. It was like, what's that movie, The Sandlot or whatever? Like, <laughs> I was that kid, you know, like Bad News Bears, you know, the, yep. the three and a half feet tall with the glasses and the high pitched <laughs> voice. So, proofs you get to play second. So, second or third inning, and how long are little league games? Six innings or something? Yeah, there? six or seven. I don't maybe think they're, they're not very long. Um, right between my legs. Base hit in a row. Buckner special. Yeah, right? just, I mean, like, dead center. Just didn't get the glove down, right? Made a couple other plays. Okay. And even made a play with um, the third baseman. I remember we used to, my buddy and I, Forrest, used to argue, why do they always go to first uh, for the sure thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, which, in the big leagues, of course you go to first. Oh. You never go to second because anything can happen. Right, second, right. a guy can come in sliding. But in Little League, 
it's so much closer to second. And we're little kids. <laughs> right. So making that throw across the diamond was kind of ropey. Dudes would throw it into the stands or into the dirt, you know, or into the, into the At one popcorn. of their, yeah, on deck circle, whatever. So we made a play where there was a force on. And rather than go to first, I went and covered second. And my friend threw it to me. And we got the put out there. You laid down the tag? Oh, no, it was put out. Yeah, force out. Okay. So I just, and then off the bag. But it was like... And only because we talked about it again and again and again. Why make that throw across the diamond where 10? You're going to uncork it. But if you just go right to second, which was like, no one's coming at you. Right. So the ball goes between my legs. And I go and I sit on the bench, right? And, of course, I'm humiliated. I turn bright red. And I just barely could even show my face. And I sat down on the bench. And this is what I love about adults, right? He walks over to me. And he doesn't look at me he stands kind of behind me and goes you let the ball go through your legs that's a cardinal rule <laughs> like I'm a pro right. and I'm like sorry Mr. Caruso <laughs> you, let the go ball, you let the ball go through your legs perhaps. I'll never forget it it's he, with, the cigarette, right, with the cigarette behind <laughs> me and I'm like I know I let the ball go through my legs I know I did. You didn't cry, did you? You didn't cry. Did you? A After the bit? games, I often cried. Yeah. Not yeah. on the not on the field in front of everybody, but I would go home and cry. But I remember when I first got on the first team, I wore the uniform all day and stuff, and walked around. So and I, great. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. But I know what you mean. When guys like sports when they're little, yeah. there's a moment. There's that one Sometimes moment. it's 15, sometimes it's high school. Because sometimes guys are good up until the high school level. Sure. Or and even, even JV, yeah, yeah. varsity. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're up against... 18 year old dudes who are Bobby Bonds and Barry Bonds I mean you have to think like if you were uh, 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 Mike Trout or uh, who, who's that other oh, we haven't talked about all the, the fish the, yeah the yeah fish or everybody named Brandon yeah salmon uh, who's the other cat in the uh, on, on the um, angels uh, right now Hamilton yeah. uh, no the other Pujols. best young player who's oh oh yeah yeah oh 20. my god I'm staring at his face right now I'm, blank, I'm blanking on his name not Trout but the other one yeah and imagine them at 15 they're probably the pitcher right or the shortstop they're whatever the best but yeah best because position. right you, yeah. or you played center shortstop and pitcher because right. you could throw harder than everyone you were faster than everyone you might even have been able to hit from both sides of the plate at that point so I always think about guys like you know when you're talking about the greatest players of all time or whatever, like a Trout or something like that, or, or uh, uh, um, Madison Bumgarner, who has, what, five World Series wins and a save, yeah, three rings, yeah, and he's 27 or 28. And he buys a cow, right? Yeah, the- and in, right, in 2010 when he won his first World Series game, and he was the, not the number one starter on that team, he was like the number four or five starter. Uh, Timmy won one Matty won one or I'm, I'm saying like everybody knows Tim yeah. Linskin won a game Matt Kane won a game for the Giants Sanchez lost his game then Bumgarner won his game right and Bumgarner pitched I think a s- almost eight inning like three hit shutout against Texas and they said to him after the game it's your first World Series game were you nervous and he went hell no I played in the state finals <laughs> You have to have that consciousness. Oh, I respect that so right? much. Right. So when he was in the state finals <laughs> right. in Carolina, when he was 17 or whatever, he was the same guy that he is now, 10 years later. Like six foot five, I throw 90 miles an hour. 90. Right. So right. hit me. Come on. Yeah, bring it. Yeah, you're 17. You're pretty big. Go on. Here comes one up and at you. 
get out of the way of this one and then dig back in because here comes the next one and it, and this one's going to tail off so when you take a big swing on it before it gets across the plate and you're in a corkscrew and the ball hasn't come up near the plate yet and everybody laughs <laughs> there's a point where we all drop off the board yeah yeah there is or if you're a football player or a hoop player sure. i'm sure for basketball players they i think, love that you called it hoop player. yeah hoop when player. you get to when you get to you know 18, 19, yeah. it's clear who's going through. Yeah. People like, are way dunking. before that. People it's are dunking clear by 16, 17. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, imagine if you're uh, uh, Stephen Curry at... Uh, you dude, tell me that guy couldn't... That guy's unreal. I, from day one, I was like, just aiming to be Mark Price. I just right? want to be a really right, right, good right, free right, throw right. shooter. Yeah. That's it. Right. That's you it. want a specialty. Yeah. Well, yeah. I always thought, like, a uh, kicker. Yeah, you know, yeah, kicker for me like, as well. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, when I was a little kid, there was a cat named Gary Upremi, and he was from Cyprus, and he played a little football, but he wasn't—he didn't grow up playing American football because he was from Cyprus. Well, it turned out he had a lethal right foot, right? Like this guy was just nonstop, especially from under forty yards. Okay. Which the Miami Dolphins who we played for were always in the red zone, so he didn't have to that kick sixty-five-yard yeah. field goals, right? Like yeah. this guy wasn't on a desperate team that needed you to kick from fifty yards out every two seconds. They were always on the eighteen, so. Boom. And he was dinky. And then they played in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and he fucked up a play so bad. And he got blocked. And he couldn't make the tackle. And the other team scored yeah. on him. And they won anyway. He, they, had, the, he had the unibar across Yeah, yeah. His, he had the face. one bar. Yeah, yeah the one and, bar. And, the, and they'd won every game that year. The uh, Miami Dolphins, yeah, I think yeah. it was 73 or whatever. They'd won. No other team has ever done it. They yeah, won yeah, every, every game. game yeah. They got into the Super Bowl. And he fucking... He just blew it. He kicked one. In, and they... And, um, Special out. teams was a new thing then. Like in the early 70s was when all of a sudden there's like two guys on the team who don't do anything but return kicks or block kicks. Even right. more specifically, I got two big bruisers who I don't even play. Yeah. I just bring them out for punts and POTs oh, and, and, and throw these dudes out here. And they had this special play they would run where they dive latitudinally. Off the flanks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Across the ball. That was their whole job. And... God damn it, if you premium didn't shank one, right? It came in low. He, and he said before the game, I couldn't get any distance. I couldn't get any height, height. height. My big thing was, you know, way up in the air, so no one ever got near it. People don't understand. That's the heart. That's right. You the most difficult part is you got to get it over these people that are already six foot and change with and their jumping, arm extended jumping, yeah. and so jumping. 10, yeah. 12 feet yeah. sometimes, 15 yeah. feet. And you don't have that much room. Yeah. Because we're talking about physics here, so the sure. trajectory. Yeah, if you lift, go too high, you're not going to get distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. resistance, all that. So he said before the game, he was taking his practice kicks, and no one was watching him because they were a little. Con they'd already won what's 15 games yeah, at this point, so <laughs> they, it was kind of not in doubt. You know, like they were big favorites coming in. I think they played Dallas in that game. And he said, "I'm taking kicks before the game, and I can't get the ball up, man." He goes, "But no one noticed." And he kicked a field goal early, and he made it. Low, but he made mm -hmm. a line drive, and he sort of still nobody's. So then they kicked this other one, and did they fucking block him? Uh. And he couldn't play football, so he t he tries to make a tackle, and he's five nine, and he and just it's like a wet gets towel a, get yeah, yeah, he just gets a fucking flipper on this dude, and they bowl him <laughs> over and score. And he comes back to the bench. He says, "And the Miami defense was huge, right?" They all come up to him and go, if we lose this game, I'm going to fucking kill you, man. I'm going <laughs> to stuff you in the fucking toilet. He said the whole bench, the whole bench, offense and defense, came by him. And then the offensive coordinator came by. And then the coach yeah, we came just, by. Yeah. The premium. 
or whatever you're called, right? Yeah. You're the one foreign guy on the team. <laughs> In those days, there was no foreign guys. Promote, promoting. Yeah, promoting. <laughs> and he said one cat came over to him and went, don't worry about it, we'll get him. We'll hold him. We'll hold him. And they did, and they won. That, of like, course, was the laundry guy. He said guys were coming over to him and going, I'm going to kill you if we lose today. Kill you. And so the post-game conference, he had to come out, and he did. He came out, and he, they were all like, so tell us about that kick. Yeah. And he, yeah. okay, this is what happened, man. I didn't get any distance on it. I couldn't get it up. Yeah, yeah. He took his medicine. Wow. But like. Wow. That's some sports there's medicine There's a moment there. where you're, you're in the pros, and you're on the best team in the world. And you just don't make it happen at all. And the team goes. <laughs> and that one made me really laugh. Oh, man. Because <laughs> oh. what would be worse, right? It's like. It's like you drop the ball in the no-hitter or in the perfect game. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 one last or the, one. Or you're, the, or, the, you're, or you're the umpire that, that you know, calls them safe. And, Go, you know, based on balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which they do, and I hate them for that. Yeah. I never do that. The Don Larson perfect yeah, game. I'll talk to you forever, Greg. Uh, I've got died. one more thing, and i got to go take my wife to lunch. <laughs> yeah. The Don Larson perfect game, you can see on video the mm-hmm. last batter, and I don't know who it is, Dale Long or whoever, batting for Brooklyn. The umpire is like Leslie Nielsen in Naked Gun. He's almost ringing in before the ball crosses the plate. My favorite scene in a movie ever. Yeah, me too. I was telling my wife about it. Absolutely hysterical. This is the second strike. Strike two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then now he's doing the moonwalk. Uh, he said to the batter, the umpire, whoever it was in, that, in the 55 World Series, before he got to the plate, he stopped and he dusted the plate. You know? You're not getting a walk. You know, like swing. Yeah, yeah. Swing. This is a perfect game in the World Series. I'm calling it. I, if you think that I'm going to, like, if it's near the plate, baby, near the plate. So he rings him. So one last story in a minute. Years ago, go to do this TV pilot thing in Carson, California. Okay. Bill Russell's there. I was at Jerry Royce's No Hitter, 1980, uh, at the Candlestick Park. My friend Forrest and I were sitting in our dorm room. We said, let's go to the ball game. We took a bus to Candlestick. We were in San Francisco. Shitty night game, fucking cold. Nobody's there, maybe 5,000 people against the Dodgers. Jerry Rose was a very good left-hander, probably won 17, 18 games that year. This is 80. Dodgers are quite good then. This is, you know, year after year, they had a pitcher, Sutcliffe. Uh, like, they kept bringing Rick dudes. Sutcliffe, and then yes. Nando. Yeah, yeah. Like, year after year. Like, insanity. So, um, you know, and this is Garvey Lopes, Russell uh, Say, that, that infield, baby. Um, first batter, and I can't remember who it was for the Giants, hit one to Russell, and Russell booted it and made a shit throw. E6 for the first play. Uh-huh. Royce, 26 batters after that. In a row. Basically a perfect game. Yeah, perfect game. After, after 27 the batters. Yeah. After the first. E6 is the first play of the game. Well, of course you can't know. That you know, it's the first play of the game. No yeah. one cares. Sometimes there's a home run or a hit on the first game, and then we win anyway. And yeah. it's just you know, it's baseball. It's so random. So I'm asked to do this pilot, and Bill Russell and Rod Carew are there. So I walk up to Bill Russell, and he's wearing his ring, right? His, mm-hmm. his 81 uh, World Series ring. And uh, wrong finger, but he's wearing it. <laughs> and uh, I go up to him. It's the morning, and uh, I says. They are introduced, Greg, uh, this is Bill Russell, Bill Russell, this is Greg. I said, I didn't say hello. I said, I was at the Jerry Rice game. That's all I said. And he went, I should have got that ball. 
Wow. It was a no-hitter. Yeah. But it wasn't a perfect game. Uh, but it, it, it's almost unfair. If it, had been the, if it had been the ninth and he booted it. Yeah. You, then you just feel awful. But the yeah. first batter, like... Well, yeah, you don't know until after. Well, that was a night game. It was crap. It was candlestick. Gotta we were cheering for Royce from, from the sixth inning on, standing. At the end, we stood for him and took off our hats. And he was a dodger. But it was a masterful... Yeah, you got to acknowledge that. Nothing got that. out of the infield. Got to acknowledge one or two soft flies. Like, he was dealing, and the Giants was... You know? Yeah. <laughs> one of those nights where guys were just... <laughs> Swatting it flies. Yeah, no nothing, chance. Nothing. No chance. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. What a cool thing to be. I've two things I want to see. I'd love to see a perfect game or a no hitter. I haven't been to either uh, or a triple play. I know that's pretty rare. Never I've, seen never, I've never I've seen, seen it inside play. the Parker. Seen it inside the Parker, yeah. Grand Slams, Grand you know, Slam, all that sure. stuff. Never seen the triple back play. My dad saw a triple play really? in St. Louis. He was, my mom was on a business trip. He just tagged along. Yeah. They they stayed in this hotel across from the stadium, and they're like, "Yeah, let's catch a game." You know, whenever saw. And he calls me, he goes, "Mark, I just saw a triple play." I was like, "No way!" Yeah, yeah. so it's great. Cool. And then there's the unassisted triple. Play, yeah, the unassisted triple. Which I think play. there's only what, maybe ten. There's yeah, not that many. Not many. All right, trivia question before yes. we go. Uh, and I had to try to dig one Mickey up. Mickey Morandini. No, go on. <laughs> well, there was one, and I couldn't remember the answer to. My, my old teacher told me this a long time ago, who the, who's the only player to ever pinch hit for Babe Ruth, but I can't remember oh, the golly. answer. Fuck if I know. Yeah, I can't remember that answer. But uh, this one, who's the last player to hit a home run from opposite sides of the plate, or hit two home runs in the same inning from opposite sides of the plate? The last player to do it? Yeah. Gee whiz. I'm just going to take a stab on this. It's uh, probably someone recent. Yeah, it's 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 more recent than not. So yeah, think I would, like I would say it's from the 2000s, and I'm not going to get it. Uh, Eddie Murray, no. close, no. same team. Oh, was it Baltimore? He, not Baltimore. Nope. He was playing for the Indians at the time. Everything's Indians. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Oh golly. Oh, a recent Indian then. Not Choo Choo Choo. What's his name? I think when they they just got you know around, around the time of Jacobs Field just uh, came into conception, right? Not so Albert was, Bell, but Albert Bell didn't no. pitch from both, hit from Joe, both sides. No. Go. Who was the switcher? Oh, tell me, it was right-handed. All right, you got me. Carlos Baerga. Baerga. He was a very classy second baseman. Man. Yeah. And didn't play on all those teams, and I always wondered why. Yeah. Two home runs, Carlos same Bayerga. inning, opposite same sides of the plate. Inning. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. What a weird... I saw Eddie Murray do it, but in, not in the same inning. Uh -huh. In one game. Yeah. Right-handed and left-handed. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, first inning, right-handed. Three innings later, left-handed. Just those, killed us that day. And those are the guys you play against at 17 when you know you're mm -hmm. not going pro. Right. <laughs> and they're six foot three. Right. And they're not nice to you. Right, right. <laughs> or sympathetic to your no, cause. They're just, I'm going to destroy you, and yeah. then I'll see you, you know, you'll be buying my baseball card. No. Enjoy, enjoy the gum. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy the gum. <laughs> All right, Proops. It was Thank a treat. You, a treat. Appreciate and, it, And I uh, can't wait to do it again, man. Congrats on everything, uh, uh, including this new album, which I own on marbled orange vinyl. You can get it at gregproops.com, and on iTunes, yep. it comes out Friday the 27th. And uh, they follow you on Twitter, at gregproops, right? Yes. Cool. Thank you. All right, cheers, man. Thanks, pal. All right, that was uh, Greg Proops right here on the Laugh Button Podcast. I want to thank uh, Proops. He's the man. Uh, dude's hilarious. Uh, love that guy. If it wasn't for him having to take his wife to lunch, we probably would have went another two hours. Mm -hmm. 
So in a way, that was a good sort of roadblock to have to call it a day. But he'll be back. And uh, this this was great, man. We got some killer podcasts coming up, too. A lot of great guests. We got Gilbert Gottfried coming up. We got Jermaine Fowler coming up. We got Ian Edwards coming up. We're going to do some cool end of year stuff. Yes. Yeah, Celebrate cool our year. first year on the air. Right. First year on the podcast air. Did uh, discounted T-shirts right now still happening? Uh, Black Friday it? sales. You might be able to get some good deals in our uh, web store. You got to go. Blackbutton.com yeah. slash merch. Yeah, check it out, man. And uh, I don't know. There's been a dispute over a new T-shirt design. We have a couple T-shirt designs. I think I want to crowdsource people and be like, hey, what kind of designs you want to see? But like, what if we just my brain to a vote? What my brain just... is humming with some new designs. Yeah. Well, you can have people vote on it. Doesn't mean that it's that they might want the T-shirt. It doesn't right. mean we could legally print the T-shirt. So, did you just air quotes with your with your eyebrows or I your did air eye? that I was did. super weird? Dude, I got skills. I got skills. Wow, who knew? All right, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in as always, and uh, make sure you subscribe, uh, download, tell your friends to subscribe and download. Follow us on all the socials at the Laugh Button. Hit the laughbutton.com for all the latest news, interviews, reviews. Got some killer interviews that are going to be exclusive to the website coming up. So check them out. <laughs> <laughs>